And when I meet with people, I say, listen, I'm giving you an opportunity here right now to give you a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You have an opportunity to level up and skill up your life. And, and so a lot of times, you know, like I look at my life, I was given an opportunity through Sue Urquhart, a lady in Toastmasters who believed more than I believed in myself. And I always made the commitment through Sue Urquhart and through a guy named Jim Rohn, who's one of my mentors, and I, I knew him until he passed away, that when I was in a position financially and I was stable in my life, that I would pay it forward and pass it on and make a difference in other people's lives and create that ripple of impact. Welcome to the Diamond Life Mentor. I'm your host, Belage de Bicardos, and I've got something to share with you. And it just might be the key to unlocking more freedom in your life. I'll show you the way. Welcome, Darren. Sir Darren Jacqueline. it's so good to have you here. I'm honored. I'm so excited for this very first episode of my show to have you be the first guest and actually the first episode ever of my podcast. Uh, we've known each other for a while, going back on almost 15 years. Yeah. And I think that's really amazing. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. For those of you who may be just getting introduced to Darren for the first time, Darren is a man of many talents. He's an investor. He's a speaker. He's a corporate trainer. He's also sitting on the board of one of the fastest or the fastest growing residential real estate companies in the world, EXP Holdings. Uh, you also got knighted in the last year, Sir Darren Jacklin from Spain, the royal family, and so much more that he can share because his story is truly incredible. And um, when I met him, the person that you know me as today, as a leader, successful entrepreneur, uh, I was none of those things. I was literally in rock bottom. I was mourning the loss of my dad. I had no purpose, no direction, no significant role models, or I didn't even know what a mentor was, actually. I never heard of the term before, before I met Darren. And um, we'll share a little bit about that later of how we met and the synchronicities that came to be. But I just thought there would be no greater honor and pleasure to have you kind of launch this new vision of mine, this new podcast. And when I reached out to you, you were so excited to be on the show as a guest. And you actually mentioned that you had a private conversation in the last little while of saying, well, I should start a podcast. And I was like, man, that's, <laughs> that's the most epic thing ever that we kind of had the similar energy about the podcast. And from your perspective, I should start one and I wanted you to be my first guest. So thank you for being here so much and uh, introduce yourself and dive right into sharing your incredibly inspiring uh, backstory sure. that changed the world and over a million people's lives now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Balaj, I'm grateful to be here, and uh, what a journey it's been. Uh, what an incredible, from 15 years we've known each other, and mm-hmm. we'll share the backstory of that as well. And uh, just I want to acknowledge you for taking on this podcast to really serve humanity and create a ripple of impact in terms of transforming the human spirit of people's lives. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure people will be taking notes from our conversation today because we'll be dropping a lot of content for people to take information that can really serve their lives and make a huge contribution. So my backstory is really quite unique. Um I'll take a few minutes to get kind of a deep dive into it. Uh, I grew up in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, a city of less than 20,000 people in population. Grew up in a middle-income family, uh, failed grade one of public school, and then was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. And the school uh, system realized that uh, I was not fit to attend public school. So I was put into what they call special education classes. And so from grade one all the way through to grade 12 of public school, I was in special education. So I felt I never belonged there, but that's where I was put. And, you know, my parents didn't have a say. I was in a small city of less than 20,000 people. 
So when I was seven years old, I created my first business called Rent-A-Kid. And I would go out and cut grass, shovel snow in the wintertime, deliver newspapers six days a week. By the time I was nine years of age, I hired my two best friends that grew up with me in the same neighborhood, went to the same school, and we did odd jobs together. And we're still 40 plus years later, we're still great friends to this day. We still so communicate for over four decades later. And um, so throughout junior high, high school, I struggled with my identity, my self-confidence. Uh, you know, I was not good in school, but I was very good at what we call entrepreneurship today. I was very good at solving problems, looking where there's opportunity zones and solving problems. Mm. And so I discovered at a very young age that we don't have money problems in life. We only have thinking problems in life. There's no lack of money on this planet. In fact, if you want to make money, you go solve a problem. What I did is I went and knocked on doors. If I wanted to have a new bicycle, I wanted to have a new lawnmower, I wanted money to go out for the weekend with my friends, I go solve a problem by knocking on my doors in my neighborhood. And I still use a lot of those practical lessons I learned as a kid uh, at a very young age. So then I did graduate from high school, barely passed school as a D student, was, you know, not very good at it. And I left school. And, and just before I left school, I actually go back to grade 11. I was taken out of class one day by a guidance counselor and a high school teacher. And they said, you know, Darren, based on your academic marks, you probably won't get your grade 12. Mm. And you probably won't go off and amount to much or do much in your life. You might get a union job, work in a factory, work on a farm, work in, you know, in the trades, but you're not going to do big things. Because I said I wanted to travel on the world and own companies and do great things in the world. And they both looked at each other and laughed at me and said, come on, Darren, you, know, you don't have a university college degree. You're not going to go to university or college. You're not going to have an MBA or a PhD. So when I did graduate from high school, I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life. Uh, I didn't believe in myself. I had no direction, no focus, no purpose. And so I used to drive my car at 140 kilometers an hour or 85 miles an hour towards the telephone pole. And I used to premeditate that. Now, my final attempt, wow. I stopped the car and I said, I can't do this. And so I went and I drove into a nonprofit uh, 24-hour telephone crisis line in a place called Vernon, British Columbia, Canada, where I have a second home there. And um, so I went there and I turned myself in and the lady says, well, come on in, we'll do some counseling with you. And so uh, I was there for a few weeks and the lady said, I want you to go to this, meet this guy named Dale Carnegie. This is back in the early 1990s. Well, I didn't know who Dale Carnegie was. So I went to this hotel looking for Dale Carnegie. And it turned out there was a Dale Carnegie training program going upstairs in the conference center. So I walked up there and there was a bunch of chairs in a, in a seminar room. And I walked in there totally out of place, awkward, uh, felt uncomfortable. Why am I here? I thought I was going to meet this guy named Dale Carnegie. Didn't realize the guy had passed away a long time ago, wrote a best-selling book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. So I went into this, this um, seminar room and they did an overview on a 12-week training development program that you could sign up for at the end. And it was kind of like an infomercial to go to this program. And so I signed up for it and uh, ended up taking 12 weeks into this program. And through there, it had a huge transformation in my life. Uh, building my confidence, my belief. And through there, I met a lady by the name of Eleanor Hatton, who's passed away now. But uh, she took a liking to me in the program, and she took me to a Toastmasters International program, a club. And I went there, and I got up, and my first, you know, they asked all the guest speakers, the, the guests in the room, to, to stand up and introduce themselves. I was so scared that I forgot my name. And I had to look at my name tag to remember what my name was. And that was a big day where I decided to join Toastmasters to develop my public speaking, my self-confidence, and my communication skills. Then a short time later, a lady by the name of Sue Urquhart, who was a Toastmaster, said to me, she says, you know, I believe that we could mentor Darren Jacklin to become a world-class professional speaker. And I thought, who are you to validate something like that? Who are you? You don't even know who I am. I've, I've hardly ever talked to you in this Toastmasters club. Those are some big words coming out of your mouth. And, but she believed in me more than I believed in myself. 
And I think that's where I'm very strong today in people like yourself and other people, when they don't see potential or see the upside to their life, they just see the downside of all their failures and adversities and challenges and setbacks and disappointments of their life. And they have a lot of shame and guilt or trauma. They don't realize the upside of who they are in terms of themselves being a human being. And so she believed in me more than I believed in myself. And so that planted a seed in my mindset. And so uh, I ended up getting a job uh, with McLean's Magazine as a telemarketer. And I used to make uh, 400 cold calls a day, 2,000 cold calls a week selling magazine subscriptions across Canada for a telemarketing outfit back in 1990s. After several months, the boss came to me and said, Darren, listen, you've maxed out here. You can't go any further. I suggest you leave here, go get a stack of telephone books and start dialing for dollars and start building a corporate training business. I'm like, listen, I need the paycheck, man. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I need that security. I got no reserves, no cash reserves. And he's like, listen, you'll do fine. So in 1995, in a one-bedroom apartment, I started making phone calls. And between 1995 and the year 2000, I made over 100,000 cold calls. Sometimes I was three, four, five months behind on making my payments because I had such huge telephone bills to pay, take care of. And uh, you know, I was making 400 cold calls a day. And what it did was um, I used to go behind Staples and Office Depot, and I used to take at nighttime, I used to go into the recycling dumpsters, and I used to take out the boxes like Microsoft and all these big technology companies like Apple, and I would cut out their logos, and I used to glue stick them onto my wall like a vision board. And then I'd write out for each company, like Microsoft, Kellogg's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, all these companies, I write out 200 reasons, 200 benefits why I'm smart enough, good enough, worthy enough, deserving enough to actually go in to actually corporate train these companies. I had no formal education, barely passed public high school. So from 1995 to the year 2015, I ended up traveling the world on average of 276 days a calendar year doing corporate training seminars in 50 countries on four continents. And over that 25-year period, I ended up training developed over a million people and trained 157 of the Fortune 500 companies. Amazing. And then in 2011, I'm on flying from one day from San Francisco to uh, New York on United Airlines. I wrote in my journal that I wanted to get onto paid advisory boards and paid boards of directors of public and private companies. Mm -hmm. And all these people in my network said, Darren, come on, you don't have a formal degree, an MBA, PhD, you're never going to go get onto a paid advisory board, a paid board of directors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, today I serve on multiple paid advisory boards and boards of directors and helped and grow and scale companies. And, uh, you know, from advisory board, board of directors level, I, I've, I've done very, very well in my life to grow and scale companies from, you know, multi-million dollar companies to multi-billion dollar companies. And then I have my own portfolio of the Darren Jack Group of companies where I've actually taken companies from startup to multiple seven-figure and soon-to-be eight-figure companies with myself and my partner, Tatiana. And so, you know, we know how to grow and scale, how to do acquisitions, how to raise capital, and do that kind of stuff. And so it's not been easy. It's been hard. A lot of personal professional development, a lot of focus, uh, you know, some sleepless nights in terms of adversities. And I was once homeless. And I was once on the homeless on the streets. I lived on welfare, ate my next meal in a garbage dumpster. Uh, for the Canadians that are listening to this video or audio, I used to have an R9 credit rating, which was the worst possible credit score you can get in Canada with Equifax or TransUnion credit. And uh, I was so broke one time, I actually went in to declare and file personal bankruptcy in Canada. And I couldn't pay the $1,500 Canadian at the time to fill out the application form to file for personal bankruptcy. So people always ask me, have you ever go bankrupt? I said, I couldn't afford it because I couldn't afford to pay the fees. I didn't even know there was a fee. Yeah, you got to pay, wow. pay the application fee to file for bankruptcy. Okay. And mine was, was at the time, it was $1,500 back then. I don't know what it is today. But, uh, you know, I went from there um, to achieving a lot of financial success, you know, building a, a multiple, you know, an eight-figure port net worth, uh, being a decamillionaire. 
traveling the world now today. I've uh, been in many, many countries. You know, I have a big real estate portfolio, a big holdings portfolio of a lot of investments. And I don't say it to brag, but I share with people, you know, the backstory where I started mm-hmm. with a lot of adversities, a lot of failures, a lot of challenges, a lot of setbacks. And, you know, I went to a lot of courses, a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars, and a lot of things didn't work. And so, you know, when I wrote the book, Until I Become, with my team, I wanted, I'm a very practical person, a very results-oriented person. I'm not a fluff kind of guy. And um, so today, I've learned through trial and error of making a lot of mistakes, sometimes financially costly mistakes, of what to do and what not to do mm-hmm. in regards to daily habits, daily routines. And then in businesses, it's about systems and processes. And then when it's doing acquisitions and acquiring companies, it's about you know, cash flow, you know, monthly recurring revenue, and it's about the terms of what the negotiation is mm-hmm. and how you, you know what I mean? So there's certain things, I'm a very simple kind of person, but people can relate to me because I can relate to people from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we built a family foundation, Tech and I, where we've committed $100 million over the next 10 years towards global philanthropy through Link Foundation, which is our family foundation. And uh, we built our first school over in one of the poorest countries in the world right now called Liberia, West Africa, where we are disrupting. Um, Psychology Today magazine just recently did an article on our foundation in regards to the work that we're doing in Africa. That's huge. Psychology Today magazine. I used to watch and read that growing up as a kid. And, you know, that we're turning things around there in regards to human and child sex trafficking and organ harvesting. So, I'm a man on a mission. People always say, are you successful? No, I'm just a man on a mission. Mm-hmm. Am I motivated by money? No, I like to make a difference in the world, but I don't like being told what to do. I make a terrible employee, <laughs> right? So that's why I become an entrepreneur. And that's why I don't run day-to-day operations. I hire smart people to run the day-to-day operations, but I'm a visionary and I can see things. I can see opportunity zones before the masses see the opportunity zones and then seize the opportunity and then execute on the plan with a strategic roadmap and then bring the team in to run the day-to-day operations. So there's lots of stuff we can unpack here in terms of the last 15 years, and you've, you've seen the ups and downs that I've been through in my life and where we are today. And, and then later this year, I'll be hiking Mount Kilimanjaro, which I never thought ever in my life I'd ever do something like that. But I'm really grateful and looking forward to doing that as well. Wow. What a story. I think for me, there's so much I wanted to interrupt and talk about <laughs> that we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more. And I was just asking you right before we started this episode today about how old you were roughly when we met. And I thought it was pretty fascinating that yeah. the age that you, when I met you, is now my age now. So I think it's just a really interesting um, developmental phase in our lives and our sure. careers, the ups and downs and so forth. And so I want to dive into a little bit about where I was at when we yes, met. And absolutely. then from there, we can go deeper. So just to give everybody an idea, I didn't have a mentor. My, my dad had passed away mm-hmm. and I was 21 years old when I lost my dad. And so up until that age, I didn't really have a chance to become a man under my father because I was right around the age where I would have needed that. So I lost him right at that peak moment of like, okay, well, how do I become a man without my dad? So I went through a deep mourning and a lot of loss and, and I didn't know how to handle that and the grief. So I was uh, at my mom's house. Um, I was smoking dope, sleeping in, no direction. I dropped out of college when I found out my professor never made a lot of money. And I was like, this, this makes no sense. So I had these instincts that made sense of like, why would I learn from someone who didn't have the results that I wanted? But I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know why I felt that way. I just knew that that wasn't the right path. Mm-hmm. And so here I was, my mom and I were fighting every day. She was telling me to get my life together and move forward. And, and I wanted to, but I didn't really have the tools or the mindset or anything to get me to that place. And so one day I'm in my bedroom living at home And I decided to go on Craigslist to try to find a job. And I'm like, had a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of hope, 
like, I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to go get a job, make my mom happy, get off my case. So I'm on Craigslist and I had some bartending experience and working at a restaurant prior to that. So I was like, I'll just go into customer service. I really like people, maybe get a answering a phone job or just like <laughs> minimum wage, yep. anything. And so here I am on Craigslist. I'm searching. There's bartender jobs, waiter jobs, bartender, uh, all these things. And all of a sudden there was a promotions company called Synergy Promotions and it was a startup and there was an ad on Craigslist and I clicked it. And on one ad, which was unusual, most of them were individual job postings. On this particular job posting, it was all the jobs were on one posting. So as I'm scrolling down, it's like bartender, waiter, DJ, model, photographer, like all these things you would mm -hmm. need for a promotions company. And all of a sudden I get to the very bottom and it says vice president. And I had this like inner fire, this little spark where I'm like, ooh, I got excited. I'm like, vice president, but I had no business thinking this way. I had, like you, like you mentioned in your story, I didn't have a formal education, credentials, any background whatsoever. I just liked the title. I'm like, vice president, man. That sounds like I, I can make it. I could be somebody. So anyway, I read the little description of who this person was supposed to be, and it kind of described me. It was sort of saying like, have the gift of the gab and charismatic and can make a friend and those were the qualifications. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this is kind of strange. It didn't say like 10 years of corporate, whatever. It was just this kind of like personality description. And it kind of sounded like me. And so I was like, man, worst thing that could happen is they just tell me no. And so I had this little bit of a, a desire to contact them to apply for this job. The lady phones me and she says, you're hired. <laughs> and I'm like, no way. Right. So I go tell my mom, I'm like, mom, not only did I get a job, I actually got a job as a vice, vice president, president of the startups. And my, my mom kind of gives me the look like, that doesn't sound legit. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, mom, trust me. It's going to be great, right? So here I am now all of a sudden with this vice president title. I get on the phone with the CEO of this mm -hmm. company and she goes, Blodge, okay, your first uh, task is to hire everyone else that you saw on that job posting because we don't have anybody. So, <laughs> so I'm like, wait a second. So they're like, yeah, you got to go hire the, the photographers, the, the waitresses, the whatever. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm the vice president, so I'm going to figure it out. So I got out of my own way and just took action. And I didn't know what I was doing. So now I'm on the phone trying to act this VP persona, uh, totally faking it. And I, I'm getting people to say yes. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're getting started and they're like, yeah, sure, I'll work for you. And I'm like, we don't have any money to pay you yet. We got to get some gigs from like some nightclubs, but we'll pay you soon and you'll be paid, compensated well. So that's how it all started. Then she calls me and says, we have a meeting with this guy who has this concept called idea party events. That's do you right. remember that? I remember that. I do. Yeah. I do. So idea party events. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, he's looking for a company to promote this, this concept of his, and we're going to have a meeting with him. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And he's like, remember you're the VP, but listen, and we're going to meet at Cactus Club, which is one of my favorite restaurants here in the Vancouver, lower mainland. So we met you downtown Vancouver at the restaurant there. And instantly I felt like we were kind of jiving, right? Mm -hmm. You were making eye contact with me and I was kind of like, okay, this is interesting. And you started saying all these very unique things I'd never heard before. So I knew you were different immediately. Mm -hmm. And you were, you were teaching us in real time just while we were having small talk and we weren't even doing business. You were telling us things like, one thing that I remember that sticks out to me is you said, you know, don't ask for a favor, ask for a request yes. because you're more likely to, someone wants to fulfill a request more than a favor. So you're like, watch this. So the, the server lady comes up and you're like, I have a request. She's like, okay. She's like, I would like some nachos. And the lady's like- Complimentary. Complimentary nachos. That's right. <laughs> complimentary. And I was like, huh. And then, but the lady's like, the, the waitress is like, there's no, 
nachos on the menu. It's like, but do you have the ingredients in the back? And she's like, yes. Like, can you ask the chef for complimentary nachos? Anyways, so it's a big ordeal. And next thing you know, we have nachos. <laughs> and I'm going, who is this guy who just got complimented? And it was a small thing, but it was a big thing for me in yes. the moment, right? Uh, anyways, then you got her to sing. And you're like, what's your passion? And she's like, I love to sing. And you're like, why don't you sing for us? She's like, huh? Next thing you know, she's singing, right? So there's all these little things that happened that made it so fun and entertaining. And I was learning a lot. And then the thing that really stuck out to me at the end of this meeting was you gave me your card and you said, call me tomorrow. I need to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. So I phoned you up and you said, I'm like, hey, Darren, you know, good to talk to you again. You're like, that lady's going to scam you. <laughs> and I was like, what? And you're like, she's going to take you for everything you got. And I was like, how do you know this? Right? Like I'm a VP. I just started like 45 days ago. I hired everybody. I felt on top of the world. And you're like, oh, no, she's going she's gonna to take you for everything. She's going to ask you to get a loan, take the money and run, and you're going to be stuck with the bill. And I was like, really? I'm like, what should I do? You're like, you do whatever you want. And I was like, I need to quit. And you're, and you're like, that's probably a good idea. And you said, you know, let's meet up and I can guide you. And, and that's kind of when you almost volunteered to mm -hmm. guide me and, and uh, be my mentor. And I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, okay. So here I am now jobless again, but I have this, this new person in my life, which is you. And you invited me to different places and you just kind of gave me these little assignments. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I didn't know what that was or what it meant, but you kept saying these things. And I hung on to every single one of your words. And you said, like, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm -hmm. And I took action before I was ready and it led me to you. And because I listened to my intuition and trusted you, even though I'd just met you, it actually guided me in, in the right direction. And then what really shifted me was you recommended the movie The Secret, and yes. it had just come out fairly recently. 2007, around, yeah. 2007. So it was like a couple years old when we met. And you recommended it to me, and you said, watch the movie The Secret, and let me know what you think, report back. Mm -hmm. All right, sure. So I went home and I watched it. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like I was remembering, not learning. Wow. And it felt very weird in my body, the sensations. I was like, I know this stuff. This is like my truth. Mm -hmm. And it makes so much sense. And this, like, how come nobody told me this? But I didn't feel like I was learning. I felt like I was remembering. Mm -hmm. And it kind of made me um, feel a, a little bit, like, uncomfortable. And I didn't know what it, what it really meant. And then I was like, in my mind, I was like, everything Darren tells me to do moving forward, I have to give it a try. I have to try it out because it's so powerful. So I want to thank you for that. And it was profound. And it's literally shifted everything for me. Because up until I watched that The Secret movie, I realized that I had chronic, terrible thinking, mm -hmm. that I was always thinking about my problems. I was always a victim. I was always complaining. The poor me card. And uh, I won't get into my full backstory before from my childhood. I'll, I'll share that on another episode. But I was just always feeling sorry for myself. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I was creating more of that just from my thinking. So then I contacted you and I said, Darren, I need to move out from home. This is a toxic at home environment, me and my mom are not getting along. What do I do? I have no money. I don't have a job. <laughs> I was like, I'm learning a lot, but I don't have an income. And you're like, well, why don't you just write down on a piece of paper uh, where you would like to live and what you'd want it to look like? And I was like, that's, that's insane. What are you talking about? And you're like, seriously, just write down the details. And I said, oh, all right. I mean, let's, let's go for it. So I wrote on a piece of paper, like a condo, a two bedroom uh, in Burnaby. I didn't have a driver's license at the time. I lost it from drinking. And I was in like a really bad place. Excessive speeding. Excessive speeding. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Excessive speeding. With the helicopter. The, the helicopter. helicopter. <laughs> you remember that story. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's excessive speeding. It was a crazy time of my life. It's like an action movie, right? 
And uh, I wrote everything down. And after I finished, I was kind of like giving my head a shake. Half of me was resisting it. And the other half of me was excited about it. So I was kind of in this weird middle place. And then I went on to uh, Facebook and this acquaintance who I used to work at a uh, nightclub had just posted in real time in Facebook of looking for a roommate. And I'm like, I barely know that guy, but what are the chances that he just posts this thing on Facebook when I logged on right after I completed this paper exercise? So I'm like, this is insane. So I messaged him, I'm like, hey man, uh, just curious, where do you live? And one of my things on my paper was it had to be above the 20th floor mm -hmm. and it had to have a view. And so he's like, yeah, my address is 2204. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that means the 22nd floor. <laughs> and so I'm like, this is insane. So I went to his house. Every single thing on my list had checked off the, from the floor to ceiling windows to the stainless steel appliances. I was dreaming big too. Mm -hmm. This was a big deal. My first place. And he goes, it's $750 a month. And on my paper, I wrote, I have $600 in the bank. That's my net worth. That's all my money. And I wrote $600 per month is my maximum. That's all I have for rent. Mm -hmm. And he literally is like, you know what, man? Just because you're a friend of so-and-so and whatever, like we're about to shake on it. He goes, I'll give it to you for 600 a month from 750. <laughs> and I just, I almost passed out. I was like, I couldn't believe it. And I was like, okay, I was really like taken aback. And then I was like, okay, deal. And the one thing which is hilarious about manifesting anything is I did not account for pets. So only one single thing. I did not say no pets on my list. Mm -hmm. And he had a dog that shed like crazy. <laughs> and it was the one thing that drove me nuts about living there. Um, and then anyway, so shortly after that, I was um, dating random girls and kind of single and living it up and whatever. And I got tired of that. And I remember asking you about that yes. too. I said, I'm just tired of the single life and the trying to like take girls out on dates. I'm just over it. And he goes, what did you do with your house? What did you do with the place that you're renting now? I was like, you just made a list, right? You wrote everything down. I was like, that's right. He's like, do that for your dream woman. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way. So I'll stop after this part of the story, but I basically <laughs> wrote down pages and pages of personality mm -hmm. and looks and um, the type of mother or wife character, she would be, yep. character, all the things I could imagine was pages and pages. And I get towards the very end, I'm kind of on the last line, I'm holding the pen and I just kind of, kind of chuckle to myself. I go, there's no way. I'm like, this is my high school girlfriend, Margaret, mm -hmm. yes. which is now my wife, yeah. and the mother of my daughter. And I had this moment, I said, out of all the women on the planet, um, she's probably the one who wants to be with me the least. Because <laughs> I screwed up. I, I made some big mistakes in high school. I cheated on her. I didn't treat her right. Um, I took her for granted and all this stuff as a 15-year-old boy. Mm -hmm. And here I am now, 24 years old, going like, Man, I've never met anybody just quite as amazing as her. And, I, and now she's a woman and I'm sure she's evolved and all the child childish things we went through, I'm sure she's matured, I've matured. And I was like, but there's, there's no way. It's like the one woman I cannot have. <laughs> and what do you know, within a few months, I went to a concert, a Dead Mouse concert in Vancouver, which was one of our favorite electronic musicians at the time. And I bumped into her and we were both not sober. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, had we been sober, uh, it would have been kind of like a, a fuck you and a middle finger and For sure. all that same yeah. stuff. But because we had our guard lowered and we're in a blissful state and we're just dancing and having fun, we kind of made eye contact and we we're both happy to see each other. And in that moment, I knew there was a chance. Mm -hmm. And it was probably a 1% chance. <laughs> But I was like, you know what? 1% is all I chance. need. Absolutely. I got a chance. You got 1%. And uh, so from there, we we rekindled it. It was a lot of work. She she never trusted me. And there was a lot of stuff like that. But we've been together 12 years. Yeah. And we just celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary yeah. last week in Mexico, uh, living our dream life. And everything we've ever wanted, we've built together in 12 years. So, I mean, 
just in this little bit of the story, um, I don't know if you can tell listening to this, but you've changed all the major parts of my life. Mm -hmm. You've changed my uh, my thinking and what I understand about law of attraction and, and success as the base, the foundation. You've changed my reality just by helping me understand I can write things down and create that first in my mind and mm -hmm. imagine it and picture it. And then you changed my entire personal life, my love life, my marriage and and my my mother of my daughter, who's the best little girl ever. She's a little bit over two now. And so I just wanted to share this backstory and thank you because there was just such a ripple effect. And uh, and yeah, I'm forever grateful, Darren, and thank you. So, wow, that's, it feels really good, man. <laughs> this this is a full circle moment for me. It's really like, yeah. I'm just like, why well, can't even believe it? I can't believe yeah. all the things that have happened. So thank you. And uh, yeah, let's dive into it a little bit more. So during your journey, you were known as the what was it? The Mega Manifester. Mega Manifester. It was by NBC TV out of San yes. Jose, California, coined that back in the early 2000s. Yes, you're the known, known as. So let's talk about that a little bit. When did you first discover the same sort of principles of writing things down? And what was that moment like for you when you did that exercise and then you manifested your first thing and you kind of maybe yeah. felt similarly like, whoa, I have the superpower? Feels like a superpower, doesn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, for sure. Yeah. I think it started as a kid when I was in elementary school because I didn't have a lot of support. Right. I was this loner kid in special education. So I felt what was really safe for me is to write things down, like in a journal, what we call a journal today. And I always felt that if I wrote it down, it was safe for me. It was a, it was a personal thing to protect myself. And then, uh, you know, in the early 2000s, I was, li well, I was living in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, Canada, a city called Vernon, British Columbia. And I used to drive up to Vancouver to take training development courses. And that, that was where I was always putting money back for my corporate training business. And I remember one day I was in a course back in 2003. And I was going back and I got lost. We didn't have a GPS back then. We had roadmaps. And I got lost. It was pouring rain that day. And I ended up uh, in the lower mainland of Vancouver. And it was in, um, I was in Delta, British Columbia. And I went across this big, big mansion. I thought, wow, look at this house. So I drove to the Chevron gas station down the street and bought a disposable camera. Came back, pulled over on the side of the highway, took a picture of this thing with a disposable Kodak camera. Then I went and got home and I, and I went and got it printed out. And I took that mansion. I put it on my vision board in 2003. So in 2007, I uh, moved out to the Vancouver area and got a roommate. And one day I went to my storage locker and opened my storage locker and this box fell over and these photos fell out of the box. It was a storage box. And here was this picture that came off one of my vision boards that I had. And here was this picture of this mansion. And I thought, well, look at that picture of that mansion. I remember that house back in 2003. So now this is 2007. I uh, get a phone call one day from a guy and he says, hey, do you want to come with me and go tour this mansion? I know this woman who's looking after a mansion, this guy named Mark. So sure, okay, I'll come with you. So I go there. It's the same house, the same physical address of this house four years earlier. I took a picture of this mansion. Mm. So I'm there. I met with the lady who was the property manager looking after the property. She says, listen, you know, it's a billionaire family that owns this home. And they don't live here, but for insurance purposes, they have to have somebody stay on site. Where do you live? And I said, well, I've got a roommate right now, about 10 minutes from here. He goes, she goes, would you be open to living here? I'm like, well, sure. But how much is it going to cost? She goes, no, it's rent free, but we need to have somebody live on site to mitigate the risk for insurance purposes. So I ended up moving to this 14,000 square foot mansion in Delta, British Columbia, Canada. Wow. And I was there by myself. And I was like, wow, I'm in this 14,000 square foot mansion. So it just expanded my mindset of thinking. And so when I, when I was in there, I did a lot of journaling. 
and a lot of self-reflection, I realized, wow, the power of your thoughts, the power of writing things down on paper, the power of, you know, deciding what is it you really, really, really want in your life. Because if you go ask people, you know, what is it you really, really want in your life? Most will say, I don't know is the number one consistent answer. Mm -hmm. So today I have over 7,000 written goals and my target is to get to 10,000 written goals. It's hard because as I'm, as I'm writing down my goals and working on my goals through my calendar and through my teams, because something people are taking notes, I want you to write this down. Most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions. I want people to think about that, that question. Most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions. It's all about creating teams and teamwork. You look at your life today. When you first started Blige years ago, you're thinking, well, how am I going to achieve all these goals and dreams personally in my life? Now look at where you are today. Fast forward to where we are today. Look at how many goals and dreams that you've got written down or you know that are actually being manifested and achieved by people around you. Mm-hmm. Right? And I didn't have t- any teams in the beginning at no. all. It was just a one-man show, wore all the hats, and yeah. it, was, it was stressful and overwhelming. Yeah. Like, yeah. you and I are both here right now, but we're both getting paid, and we have people working with us all over the world right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And yet, we're here doing this podcast to serve people. Yeah. And But in the beginning, it was just us. We just showed up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, the thing is, is that most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions about creating teams and teamwork. And so, what I discovered was I was not a great team player. I was always a solo entrepreneur. And so when I realized that I was a visionary and I had to find people around me that were good at running the day-to-day operations, mm-hmm. and I had to step away from that. So through a lot of training, development and coaching and mentors and mastermind groups, I realized, oh my gosh, what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses? Mm-hmm. So I learned very odd, you know, a long time ago about manifestation, but also getting around the right people. And what I always realized in my life is that you want to have a seat at the table. And, you know, where I'm at my life now and where you're at, we can select who we want in our inner circle. Mm-hmm. And when I meet with people, I say, listen, I'm giving you an opportunity here right now to give you a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. You have an opportunity to level up and skill up your life. And, and so a lot of times, you know, like I look at my life, I was given an opportunity through Sue Urquhart, a lady in Toastmasters who believed more than I believed in myself. And I always made the commitment through Sue Urquhart and through a guy named Jim Rowan, who's one of my mentors. And I, I knew him until he passed away, that when I was in a position financially and I was stable in my life, that I would pay it forward and pass it on and make a difference in other people's lives mm-hmm. and create that ripple of impact, right? And so the key thing is, is, is when you when you know better, you do better. And so I've made a lot of mistakes in my life because I was building the airplanes so I was flying it. You know, I didn't know how. Like I, you know, when, when your back's against the wall and you've got no contingency plans, no cash reserves, no other reserves, your family and friends are going to help you out, you figure things out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny today in business where people say, well, I need a $50,000 budget for sales and marketing. I need $50,000 for marketing. There's no budget. Well, what do you mean? Why can't you just give us money? Because if I do, you're not going to figure things out and be creative and imaginative and be resourceful. Mm-hmm. You're not going to collaborate like a mastermind and a think tank and collaborate together and create culture in an environment. And so the, po- the important thing is write things down on paper. Um, you know, every year I have a written plan where I have what we call personal promises. Bill Bartman, who's in my book, was a billionaire. He's passed away now. I have a picture of Bill and I in my book, Until I Become. Bill was a good mentor of mine, and Bill was a very successful entrepreneur, businessman, but he was a billionaire that nobody ever knew. And I would meet Bill, and he'd be in jeans and a t-shirt. We'd eat, his favorite restaurant to go to was IHOP, International House of Pancakes. Not some high-end steakhouse, but International House of Pancakes where he wanted to go. He was a regular kind of a guy. And I learned a lot by him being around him in terms of his character, but it was, he was never motivated by money. He wanted freedom. Mm-hmm. He wanted to go wherever he want, whenever he want, however he want, whoever he want on his terms. And 
you know, people always ask me, they go, what time do you go to bed at night? I say, I go to bed when I'm tired. People say, what time do you go to, what time do you wake up in the morning? I said, when I'm done sleeping. And people say, how do you do that? I say, consistently, right? <laughs> and people say, oh, you're arrogant. I said, no, because I never used to be able to do that. When I was an employee, when I was working someplace, I couldn't do that. I was told what to do. And it used to frustrate me and drive me crazy at times. So I realized that in my life that every day I have a clean slate. I get to choose the destiny and direction of where I want to go in my life. And so by writing things down on paper is so important. And then once you write things down on paper, it's, it's about making requests. And I'll expand a little bit more on that. So for every question that you don't ask, the answer is always no. And so when you make a request or you make a powerful request or an unreasonable request or an outrageous request, people only do one of three things. Step number one is they'll accept the request. Step number two is they'll decline the request. Or step number three is they'll counteroffer the request. So be courageous at making requests. And here's the cool thing about making requests. Whether you make the request or you don't make the request, you're going to die in the end. So you might as well just make the request. You're not getting out of life alive. So you might as well just make the request. And as you make requests, you're going to be uncomfortable. You may have body sensations we're going to sweat in the beginning, but it's like a muscle in the gym. You develop the strength and the mindset the more you make requests. Mm. And, and then as you grow and expand and develop yourself, you start making bigger and bigger, bigger requests. That's right. Right? You know, like I made a request the other day for $10 million to somebody. Mm-hmm. I made a request for $10 million as an investor, an ultra high net worth person to invest in some acquisitions I'm doing this year with one of my companies, Profitopia. You know, and most people like, you, you, you know, some people have a challenge making a request for $10. <laughs> Try making a request for $10 million US dollars. Yeah. Right? And, it's a, and so one of, the, one of the things I'll share with you in my book, um, I was in front of the Vancouver Convention Center one day and um, I met this guy who was homeless. And I was once homeless living on the streets for a couple months, living in an apple orchard, lived in a, I lived in a tree house. And I met this guy in front of the Vancouver Convention Center one day and I was going to the Cactus Club for a lunch meeting. So I walked by this homeless guy and he says, hey, sir. He said, can you give me some spare change? And I said, how much do you want? He goes, well, I need 50 cents. I said, well, what's the end goal here? He goes, well, I'm trying to get enough money today to get into a hostel for tonight. I'm thinking, man, you got to talk to a lot of people asking for 25, 50 cents to get to whatever it is, you know, 20, 30 bucks to get into a hostel for a night. You're going to be here for many hours. So I said to the guy, I said, listen, are you open to some feedback? I said, listen, I was once homeless. I said, I'm going to teach you a strategy. He's like, what's the strategy? I said, if you change your request, you change your ask, you'll change your results in your life. If you change your ask, you'll change your results. He's like, what? I said, listen, you're getting rejected at 50 cents. Lots of these people are walking by the Vancouver Convention Center and they're rejecting at 50 cents for spare change. Every person that walks by, I want you to start asking for $100 from each person. They're going to reject you at 50 cents, they'll reject you at 100 bucks. So ask for 100 bucks. You're crazy. I said, listen, in 90 minutes, I'll be back. I'll bring you a salad and I'm going to check in on you just like I did with you, Balaj. So about 90 minutes later, I come back. I ask the guy, the guy comes up, he comes running over to me to hug me. I didn't want him to hug me because he hadn't showered many days. And I was wearing a, a suit, a business suit. So he comes over and he goes, Mr. Mr., you wouldn't believe what happened. I have $76. I think it was 76 bucks I got in the last 90 minutes. He goes, people walk by and ask for 100 bucks and people feel uncomfortable. And some guys give me a five and 10, 20 bucks. All these people give me money. I got 76 bucks in, in, in 90 minutes, right? Because he changed his ask. He changed his request. So the key thing is a lot of times in life, people are not making requests. Now, Two questions I always ask people. As you know, I always give people assignments. I'm going to give people assignments that are listening to this or watching this. Question number one is, where are you not making requests in your life? I want you to look. I want you to reflect in your life, do an audit or an inventory of where are you not requesting in your life? I'll give you a clue. 
whatever area of your life that's not giving you freedom and ease or workability. So if you're in a relationship right now with an intimate partner and you haven't been on a date night for several months and he or she's giving you pressure saying like, well, you never go on a date night. We never go see the movies, never go for a walk, never do things. You're not making requests to have somebody look after your children so you can go on a date night. If you're feeling the pressures of day-to-day business or your job or your career, you're not making requests. If you are not financially where you want to be and your bank account does not reflect it and show it, you're not making requests to level yourself up financially. So take an inventory of your ass. So question number one is, where am I not requesting my life? And you'll notice whatever's not working for you is, is where you're not requesting. Question number two is, who do you become as a human being when you're not making requests? You're playing small in life. You're contracting versus expanding. Chances are you're coming from lack and scarcity versus abundance and prosperity. You are contracting versus expanding. And the more and more, if you look at my life and you did an audit of my life, you would see that I am making requests all the time. I'm a request-making machine. And that's why I have the portfolio of companies I'm invested in. That's why I serve on all the boards of directors. That's why I have the investments. That's why I travel the world. That's why I do all the things that I do. Not that I'm any better or smarter than anybody. So I'm willing to play the game of making more requests than most people. And that's the key thing is how many requests can you make in a week? And if you were to metric it, say, I'm committed to making 100 requests a week. Okay, great. Here's your promise. Your first promise is 100. Okay. Here and here. So your promise is 100. Your actual is what and what's your gap? It's a three metric system. So I always play games with myself. Okay. What's my promise? 100 contacts this way. I want to make 100 requests. Okay. What's my actual? And then what's my number? I've, I'm at, you know, I'm at seven requests this week. Okay. Great. What's the gap? Okay. I'm at 93. So your promise, your actual, your gap, promise, actual gap, and start playing a game. When I was a young kid, I was very insecure meeting girls. So I used to take 10 Canadian pennies and put them in my left pocket. Every time I'd say good morning, good afternoon, hello, hi to a girl, I'd transfer secretly the penny from my left pocket to my right pocket. Now, some days I had to go to 7-Eleven because it was open 24 hours just to, just to hit my target. Some days I had to go to Denny's restaurant because it was open 24 hours. But when people have that accountability and that responsibility that's saying, okay, I'm going to start to metric things in my life. I released 40 pounds last year from weight off my body from hiking because I got an Apple Watch. And my Apple Watch started to give me data every day of my metrics. And so every day I would set targets on my Apple Watch to play a game. And every day my watch is going to beat me or I was going to beat my watch, but somebody was going to win. And it was going to be me, not my watch. Same thing with I go hiking now and I climb mountains. The mountain's going to beat me or I'm going to beat the mountain, but somebody's going to win. And it's going to be me overcoming the mountain. So the key thing is you got to get out of the way of yourself and start to play games with yourself. It's like children play games of what is it you really, really want to accomplish or acquire in your life. And by playing games and then keeping score of the games is where you can win the games to make a difference. And that's what I do in my life now is I play these games all the time to win these games to serve and make a difference in the world. You're amazing. Every time I talk to you, it's just like pure value, so many different paradigm shifts and perspective shifts. And they're slight shifts, but they make such a massive mm-hmm. difference. And even just the things that you're talking about now, when I look back to when we met, I completely shifted everything. I started not worrying about a no. I would rather just focus on the ask. Uh, I ended up going into door-to-door sales yes. um, a little bit after that never worked out with the promotions company. And I remember calling you and said, Darren, I have this opportunity to get this job and I can't find a job. No one hires me because my resume, I got fired from every single job and it's straight commission. I'm really nervous about that. And you're like, well, that's the best thing ever because you're going to eat what you kill. You're going to yes. only get the results that you earn based on performance, based on performance. And I was like, yeah, but if I don't, and you're like, well, you're focusing on the wrong thing. Like, you know, what do you got to learn to become the person that could be successful in sales? And, uh, and that 
experience literally shifted everything for me because I experienced more rejection in a day than most people experience in a whole year or multiple years. So after a little while, it's like, I don't really actually care if it's a yes or no or a counter offer. It just feels good to um, take action on what I can control and just make the ask. And if you just did that listening to this show right now and started asking for everything like Darren mentioned in your personal life, in your business life, you would be astonished at how many more yeses you receive. And one of the times we went for lunch, you shared with me the three targets that you learned from one of the billionaire friends that you have. And this was so helpful as well. And I wanted you to quickly share this is when someone is nervous about writing down their goals from my own experience and people that I've worked with and mentored and coached over the years, they're really nervous about kind of setting the the deadline. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you know, this is realistic, but then like, what about this? And things come up. So they get really scared to fail based on what they wrote on the paper. So can you elaborate into that as sure. a strategy for um, releasing that and still actually writing it down and making it happen? Yeah, so I do this all our, our teams all the time with our companies. So we do what we call scenario planning, right? So we look at what's best case scenario, what's likely case scenario, and what's worst possible case scenario. And we scenario plan. So best case scenario, we, we, we have the team collaborate and write it down on paper. Okay, here's all the best case scenario situations going to happen. Here's the likely case scenario situations, and here's the worst possible case scenarios. And then people start to realize, wow, okay. So I said, what are the odds of that worst possible case scenario happening? Right? So I'll give an example. So I remember one time being flat broke financially, and I'm like, I don't know where my next dollar is going to come from. Um, you know, I, I kept on opening up the refrigerator at my home thinking food was going to imaginary appear. I was too embarrassed to go to the food bank. And so I remember writing down in my journal thinking, okay, what, what, what's the options here? Okay, so best case scenario is I, you know, I, I can turn this around in a few days. I can get some odd jobs. I can do some side hustles and I can make some quick cash, right? And then I thought, okay, best case, the likely case scenario is, you know what? I, I got to work on myself, my mindset, because it's, it's, it's really the negative self-talk is really taking me out. And then what's worst possible case scenario? I thought, well, worst possible case scenario is um, that I'm going to be living under a bridge, right? So as I went through all this process, I started to realize, and I thought, realize, okay, so worst possible case also scenario as well is that, you know, I'm not homeless yet because they haven't changed the locks on the door. So I, like during COVID-19, I was getting these people from across North America that were calling me up and saying, oh my gosh, my bricks and mortar business is in trouble. I'm like, what do you mean? Like we had to shut down our restaurant. We had to shut down our dry cleaning business. My gosh, we had to lay off our employees. We don't know when we can hire them back. You know, our, our overhead's killing us. I'm like, oh, great. How much cash you got in the bank? Well, damn, we got less than a couple thousand dollars. Okay. What's your run rate? Oh, I'm, you know, a month or two and I'm, I'm out of business. Okay, great. You keep going until they change the locks on the door. So if you if you look at the scenario plan, you look at what's the worst case scenario. A lot of people look in their minds as worst case scenario, but when you plan it out, it's really not that bad, mm-hmm. right? Like you look at, we live in a first world country, okay? We have a lot of options here. Whereas if you're in a third world country where I go to Africa all the time on humanitarian trips with our foundation, you know, I was in Liberia, West Africa, or no, pardon me, I was in Uganda, East Africa one time. And I saw a guy jump off a bridge one time. And everybody was cheering and celebrating that he died because they figured he was life was complete. He was now at peace with his life. Now in North America, if you get up on a bridge, people will call 911. They'll shut down the bridge. They'll have, they'll have de-escalation teams come in. They'll have crisis counselors all that come in in a first world country. Completely different Completely value different. on life. Yeah. Whereas he jumped off and, his, and like, people are like, oh my gosh, now he's not a financial burden to us. He's at peace with his life. Wow. He's got some trauma. So different places in different parts of the world do different things. Mm. So when we look at, I, I always wondered why, why immigrants would come to North America and like why they kiss the ground when they got off an airplane and why they come. And I have a lot of immigrants that work with me 
and the hustle and the grit that these men and women have. And because they, they see they have a shot at a dream, mm-hmm. right? They have a chance to become somebody. And that's the cool thing about our lives is that we, we have a chance to do whatever you want to do, no matter what you've been told. Like I was told a lot of things in my life. I'd never amount to much, never go far, never do much in my life. And it was a lot of negative programming in my mindset. And I had to overcome that. And I had trauma from that as well. And, I, and I've had a trauma coach in my life to work with me and working on vulnerability and authenticity. And, you know, and I, even, I even went through a thing, and I may have did this with you before, where you actually do an integrity test, where you write down on paper or in a journal 50 things in your life that you're out of integrity on. Because people don't realize that your word creates your world. See, people look and they go, Darren, you, you manifest all these things in your life. Yeah, because I, my word creates my wor- world. See, people don't realize, like, one of the things about, about your word is being on time. To me, early is on time and on time is late. Okay? So we, a lot of us have mobile phones. So what I do in my phone is I actually, every day, I take up my phone and I actually have alarms in my phone with my calendar. So I'm always on time because if I show up to meet you 20 times and one time I'm late, I'm forgiven. Because, because it doesn't matter because you know I'm consistent with my behavior. Because be, here's something people have to understand. Behavior never lies. People always say, well, you know, Darren, talk is cheap. And I said, yeah, talk is cheap, but most people cheapen their talk because their words have no power. People just throw things out there. They embellish things. They exaggerate things. They inflate things. And they don't realize the ripple of impact that those words happen to other people's lives because never assume we're not being observed. We're always being watched and observed. People will watch what you do because they're watching your feet, not your lips, right? You look at what we've accomplished in the last 15 years, personally, professionally, because we've taken massive, consistent action over a sustained period of time. Mm -hmm. But if you really drill down, it's our daily habits and our daily routines. Yeah. That we, you know, I mean, I had a gentleman the other day, he said to me, he says, you know, I'm a realtor and I want to make a lot more money this year. I said, great. Do you have a calendar? He says, yeah. I said, great. Show me in your mobile phone, your calendar. And I opened it up and I said, you have nothing scheduled for the next seven days of revenue generating activities. I have people say to me, Darren, I want to, I want to create generational wealth for my family. Okay, great. In the next seven days, what books are you reading? What videos are you watching? What courses are you taking? What people are you sitting down with that have already created generational wealth that you can get, be in proximity to? See, there's nothing in your life that's demonstrated that you're going to achieve that. Mm-hmm. See, my 7,000 goals, if you looked at my calendar for the next one week, two weeks, month, quarter, six months, a year. Next two years, you would see that my calendar is full, color-coded with a lot of my goals and dreams that I'm set to acquire and achieve in my life, personally, that are in my calendar. And when I'm having conversations with my team members, I'm having discussions about accomplishing and achieving those things. My life demonstrates what I'm committed to achieving. Right. Right. I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in the next few months. If you follow me around the next few weeks, you'll see that my life demonstrates me training, developing myself mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, health-wise, towards achieving that goal of climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. So people have to realize that. So when when people when I see people and people are like, well, why are you argue, why are you telling me that I'm not doing this? Because your life doesn't demonstrate it. You tell me you want X in your life, but I don't see the consistent actions for you to do that. Your life's not demonstrating that mm-hmm. because behavior never lies. It has to be a daily thing that adds up to the bigger goals, right? For sure. And people are just hope hopefully wishing that it will happen, but at what cost and when. So I teach this in my programs as well, where it's like the first thing we need to do is take accountability of where we actually are, because the most important point on a map is not where you want to go, but where you're starting from. from. And everybody's always aiming for the millionaire, successful, whatever lifestyle that might look like. And it's like, that's fantastic. But take inventory of where you're starting from. And most people have never done that. 
So it's like, let's take inventory where your money currently goes. It's not about how much you earn, but where are you prioritizing spending all that money? And that will show you your values because yeah. that's where you're pri prioritizing. And same thing with your time. It's like, you want to have a successful business and quit your nine to five job, but all of your time is going towards things that will never like lead to that or add up to that. And it's so interesting because it's a pretty basic concept for you and I to think about this. But then when someone actually goes through it, it's very enlightening and yes. eye-opening. And from there, it gives you the data to make those adjustments and changes. And I think self-awareness is something that the average person has never been taught how to be self-aware. Mm -hmm. So they're oblivious. And sometimes you hear someone like yourself dropping so much amazing value on the show where you just kind of pause and go, that makes sense. I never looked at it like that. And it can transform someone's life. For sure. And, and I know you talk a lot about that in your brand new book, which I'm super excited to, to dive into and read. And so I want to change gears just a little bit here with your belief in yourself, because mm -hmm. you had such a backstory around not believing in yourself and other people not believing in you. But what did you do when you started taking action with the corporate training in the beginning part of your career to build your belief even when things weren't going well? Because there's a lot of people listening right now who just don't have belief or self-confidence and they're watching information on social media or YouTube and it's giving them sort of the, the, the knowledge of you can do this and you mm -hmm. can do that and it pumps them up and gets them excited but then there's no follow through because sure. they don't actually change their belief in themselves or their confidence. So what tips do you have on what you did that actually is effective and works for someone to believe they can if they've always been, the evidence has always been showing them that they couldn't or haven't in the past. Sure. So one of the things I used to do, and I used to go door knocking a lot in industrial parks in different cities throughout Canada and the United States for corporate training, to build my corporate training business. I'd go knock on doors. And I used to be so scared and I'd sweat and shake. And I used to go back to my car or my rental car. I used to play ACDC Thunderstruck and pound the steering wheel and get in and do affirmations. That's a good one. That's what I used to do. And then I learned, and, and I talk about this in my book, is that whatever you lack in skill, you make it up in numbers. Always remember that. Whatever you lack in skill, you make it up in numbers. So whatever I'm not good at, I make it up in numbers. Making phone calls, having conversations, presentations, whatever it is. Because when you make it up in numbers, it will build your confidence, your belief, because you've got evidence because you've called so many people or had so many conversations. Now, here's something to understand. If we look at ourselves as human beings, and let's say, for example, we went up into the International Space Station and we looked down on the planet and we looked at all these human beings. Do you know what we all are? We're a network of conversations. Social media is a network of conversations. Everything you really, 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 really want in your life is going to come from talking to strangers by having a network of conversations. You really think about that. As human beings, we're a network of conversations. And if you look at your life, if, if you retrace all your steps, it's a lot of conversations. And some of them are really significant, right? Yeah. Not all of them, but some of them are really like completely change the direction of your life. Like when I met you. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know that, uh, you know, when I go places, I talk to everybody. If I'm in a hotel, I'll talk to the front desk staff. I'll talk to the housekeeping staff. I talk to the gentleman who's doing maintenance. To me, we're all people, we're all human beings. I don't judge or discriminate against anybody. I relate to anybody from all walks of life, all walks of humanity. And the thing is, you never know who that person is. And, you know, it's interesting because sometimes people say, well, if I just go to this event and I meet this very successful person, they're going to transform my life. I've met people who, um, I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a lady uh, named Marcia. I'll see her in a couple of weeks at the Westin uh, Hotel in Sarasota, Florida. 
front desk office manager. And uh, she said some things to me a couple years ago that transformed my life. One conversation at the front desk, I was checking into the hotel. And uh, she said to me about my relationship with Tatiana. Tatiana and I were checking in the hotel one day and she says, Darren, Tatiana and I were having this discussion about where we wanted to stay in the hotel. And she goes, Darren, she says, don't argue with class. Listen and respect it. And I'm like, wow. Because Tatiana is a very classy woman. Wow. And just, just her words, do not argue with class. Um, and, you know, I, I, I had a gentleman one time, I was on a plane and a woman said to me, she says, you know, the purpose of a relationship with a woman in a marriage is for her to show you where all your insecurities and vulnerabilities are. And I get tears in my eyes because she says, she's your greatest coach. I remember one time I went and hired this coach, a real expensive coach. And the guy said to me, so are you in a relationship? I said, yeah, I'm in a relationship. He goes, good. You don't need to hire me. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, I, I hear that you're this high related, high, highly rated coach. He goes, listen, if you're in a committed relationship, your spouse, partner, said to me, other is your greatest coach, but it's also your biggest blind spot because you don't see it. They're coaching. Everything that your spouse is going to teach you is, is what I'm going to share with you. So use your wife or your girlfriend or your spouse or partner as your biggest coach. Wow. So I now look at whenever Tatiana is, you know, I used to think she's bitching or complaining. No, she's coaching me. She's showing me where areas I need to level up and grow up and skill up in my life and man up in my life. So now I take that as constructive feedback to grow up as an awareness of what my blind spot is. Mm, that's powerful. Right? In our lives. And so she's shown me where I'm insecure. She's shown me where I'm vulnerable. She's shown me where I'm exposed to weaknesses or risks or liabilities. So it's very, very powerful in our lives. And so, you know, people that are around you, you know, I always say you never join an easy crowd of people because you won't grow. Right? You know, we build high performance teams. And, you know, in our, in our calls, if people are on, on the Zoom calls on time, we lock them out. And people are like, why? I said, because we're not going to reward your behavior. If you, want, if you want to show up late, go work someplace else. They'll reward that. We're not going to do that. You want to be a high-performance team, you got to skill up and level up. Mm -hmm. Because somebody else right now wants a seat at the table. So realize as you're here working with us, somebody else is watching saying, I want that seat at the table. Right? So the key thing is you train people. Another thing is, too, is a lot of times in life, people say, I want to become more successful. Success is not something you go out in the world to pursue. We're trained that in colleges, universities, and schools that you go climb a corporate ladder. You get more degrees, more education. You, you want to get paid more, go back and get an MBA, go get a PhD. Success is not something you go out in the world to pursue. Success is something you attract into your life by the person that you become. So you become a more attractive person by the books you read, the people you surround yourself with, the courses, the classes, the coaches, the mentors, the masterminds, all that environment around you how you occupy your space and time and how you fill your calendar determines your altitude of where you're going to go in life. People don't realize that. People are like, oh, I'll just get, I've met many people who have a lot of degrees who are unfulfilled. I've met many people who are in the financial services industry, and I've done a lot of work in the financial services industry, who are, you know, financial planners, financial advisors, and they're broke. And they're trying to teach me about wealth building. And yet their life demonstrates it because behavior never lies. And you look at their results, their report card, and they get, oh my gosh, they're commissioned salespeople at the end of the day. And no disrespect to them, but it's an integrity thing as well. That if you're, if you're trying to get somebody involved in teaching them about finances, do you have your own money right? How's your report card doing? How's your checks and balances doing? Right? And so a lot of people, they, they want to give advice. And that's why you see a lot of people on social media. And I laugh um, where you see all these people showing all these things. And it's like, it's not real because that's not how things work behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It's not real. They're skipping the steps. Correct. Yeah. You know, there's, you're not showing the daily habits and the daily routines. You're not showing the systems and the processes and the strategic roadmap and the strategic plan and the weekly briefings and the, the KPIs, the key performance indicators. You're not showing all that stuff. You're not showing the dashboard of stuff. What goes on, how you keep accountable and responsible for all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. 
You mentioned that we're all connected through a network of conversations, conversations, which I love that. And so that gives me a segue for me to ask you what your opinion is on something like sure. network marketing, mm-hmm. which is basically the same thing because it connects all of Absolutely. us all over the world. And that's where I found uh, my initial success after door to door is in the network marketing industry. But I'm curious what your perception is for somebody right now who wants to create freedom in their lives, who are maybe unhappy with their career or how much time they have for the things they love, whether it's family, passion, traveling as a, as a vehicle to help them get to where they want to go to create that lifestyle. What's your perception of that over the course of your career? Because I know you've met many people in that industry. Yeah. Um, So share that. Well, the barrier to entry, right? So the thing is, if if you told people it was $100,000 or you had to clatterize their kidney, or, or you had to, you know, if they, if they didn't produce it, you would take over their home or their car. See, people, when they come into network marketing, it's a small upfront financial cost of skin in the game. So because they put a lot of, not a lot of money, or it's a lot of money to them, but it's not really a lot of big money, it's a risk-reward thing. So they think, oh, you know, I put in a couple hundred dollars into this startup company, this network marketing company, but they don't realize that if, if they had to put in $100,000 or a million dollars, and they got that skin in the game and they had to mortgage, mortgage their house or their parents' house or take out a second mortgage to do that. Now they realize, oh my gosh, I got to perform here. So if people come with, the, I was on a course here recently on a webinar just a few weeks ago and a uh, guy sent me a message and he says, oh, I understand you're taking this program this week. And he goes, how much did you pay for the tuition? I said, it's $100,000. He goes, no, it's not. It's only $1,250 US. I said, no, it's $100,000. He goes, well, you got ripped off. I said, no, that I didn't pay 100000 but I'm going in with the mindset that I paid a hundred grand because mm-hmm. I'm going to be on time and in place. I'm going to be focused. I'm going to be reliable, disciplined, all that stuff. So when people go into network marketing, yeah, they pay a small entry fee to get in a lot of these companies. But the thing is that they treat it the next three to five years as a business, that they've got a chance to have an opportunity with a lot of upside potential if they perform over a sustained period of time and deal with the critics and the naysayers and the friends and family who are going to criticize them. Oh yeah, you're in one of those things. And they realize that they focus for three to five years of hard work, putting a lot of time and effort and energy. It's like a garden. If you spend a lot of time planting the seeds, over time, those trees will grow and you'll have a harvest. But a lot of times people want the harvest without doing the work. You know, they want the, they want the warm fire, but they don't want to chop the wood and put the firewood into the fire and then start the fire. Right. So the thing with network marketing is you've got to, it's a pay-to-play model. You've got to pay up front. You know, when it comes to success, you've got to pay full price and you've got to pay for it in advance. And people don't want to pay full price and they don't want to pay for it in advance. They try and circumvent things and shortcut things. Right. Right. Like when I climb Mount Kilimanjaro, I could shortcut it. I could, I could hire a helicopter and take me up halfway or someplace like that. But what's, what's the purpose? Right. I put in the training development now to do that. So if you're willing to put in the hard work and effort, like people see me now and they think, oh my gosh, you know, your life is so easy, Darren. You know, you got thousands of people on your mobile phone. Yeah. But you don't see when I was making 400 cold calls a day, 2000 cold calls a week, and I was living on three cheese pizza pops. You don't see when I had bill collectors and, and credit card companies calling me and, and asking me for payment. You don't see it when I go into a hotel and I've been on the road for three weeks and I didn't know if I was going to be able to stay in the hotel that night. People don't see that. And I even talk about in my book where there were some nights when I was traveling doing corporate training where I was staying in the back of the seminar room where they had the flip charts and they were projectors. And that's the thing with network marketing is the people that put it in and make a great living and travel the world they paid the price. That's right. And most people don't want to pay the price. They don't realize the opportunity they got. And then also when you're in the business, get around the people that are producing and like, like yourself, how many, when you go to conferences and what you do, how many times do people actually come up to you and say, man, can I take you for lunch or can I sit up with you? It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare. Yeah. 
You know, but that's what you do is get around the people who are best in class that are producing and performing. Yeah. Right. Like when I, when I go into a commercial jet and if I'm not sitting in business class, man, and I'm in a comic class, I'm just, uh, I got to get up there, you know? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll just go sit there then I get removed and get back. But I'm just, it bugs me because I want that leg room. I want to get, because it's a different conversation when you're in business class or first class. You've done it now. I've seen some of your photos on social media. Complete game changer. It's a, you know, I mean, you're riding yeah. the front of the plane and sit in the back of the car. Yeah. It's a different level. Yeah. And people don't realize that. Mm-hmm. They don't realize that when you're sitting up front, you know, people say, oh yeah, you're just paying more money. You don't get much late. You get off the plane, you're on the same plane. But your proximity is power. It's a different conversation. It's a different energy with people. And that's one thing I always say with people. You know, people always look at return on investment, ROI, return on investment. Two other metrics I want people to start metricing. Number one is ROE, return on energy. If you're doing a job or a career right now where you come home and your energy is low, it's time to look for a transition plan, mm-hmm. time for an exit strategy because your return on energy, because that energy is being transformed to your family. It's being transformed to everybody that lives in your household. So ROE, return on energy. Next one is ROL, return on life. Life is short. Mm-hmm. And so I look at all the time as everything I'm doing of my 7,000 goals, everything I'm doing, what's my return on energy? What's my return on life? And so I will say yes to things that give me return on life. There's, there's meetings I don't take anymore because it's, the return on energy is not there, return on life is there. I leave, I'm like, oh, I feel sucked, life, suck a life out of me. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. There's no return on energy. So I only do things that, that, that multiply and expand my energy versus contract my energy. Yeah, that's powerful. Like you and I mean today is a return on life or return on energy. Yeah, I'm it glad. Multiplies. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm having so much fun. I'm learning a lot. And I think like what you're saying is so important because when I talk to people all the time, they're always thinking and focusing on what could go wrong. Yes. You know, what is the loss? Even in investment in network marketing, you know, for that example, is people are like, well, if I invest in this, that means I won't have money for that. Or they're always looking at the loss or the short-term effect. But it's like, what if you invested something once and then got paid that month over month over month or even more than that? It's like people are not focusing on that. And so what can you teach someone listening right now around shifting their daily thoughts into something that will actually guide them towards expansion, like you mentioned earlier, rather than contraction and staying in the same place. Yep. What are some tips around that that you could share? So give an example. So I, um, one of the first seminars I ever went to was Tony Robbins, Unleash the Power Within. I didn't have the money to fly down to San Diego. I didn't have the money to uh, pay for the tuition for the ticket. So I actually sold my furniture. And I went and got milk crates from a, from a dairy land, from a, from a, dairy, a milk producer. And I got the milk crates from, I didn't steal my board and I took them back after, but I went and got the milk crates and that was my furniture. And then what I did is I started dating some girls when I was single. I thought, man, if a girl comes over to my place and sees my milk crate, she ain't going to want to be around me. So that was a motivator for me. Another thing is too, is, 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 is what you want to do is every 90 days, you should go financially broke. I go broke every 90 days. So if I have any cash sitting around, I, I push into income producing assets. I'm buying assets. I don't buy liabilities. I buy assets. Because every dollar I, to me is like a baby chick. I want to grow up that chicken. I want to multiply it. So every 90 days. So when people in business, you should be pushing out. So if you got money in your account, you should go broke every 90 days. Because when you have money set aside, then you get comfortable. But when you go broke every 90 days on purpose, you're like, geez, man, I, I, got, I, got, no, I got no contingency plans here. I got no cash reserves here. So the thing is in network marketing, when you start to grow, and you start getting a little bit of money coming in. You're like, oh, I'm doing pretty good, man. And you start to dial back you go broke. Mm-hmm. And that's the key thing what you want to do is to start and then start investing yourself, start investing in workshops, seminars, mentors, coaches, you know, writing, reading books, all that stuff, audiobooks. because the more you do that, because now you're investing in yourself. Mm-hmm. I spent over a million dollars in the last almost 35 years 
on personal professional development training programs. Yeah, even like I didn't even half have the a money. million right now too. Yeah, yeah, and it's the best money you ever spent. Yeah, yeah. And, and and it's amazing. People are like, well, you spent all that money. Like, like I I I I buy like I, I like to buy nice journals. And I had a, a discussion with Tatiana, my partner, one time. She's like, you spent forty dollars on this this empty book. I said, yeah, but what, what? How much is the information worth that's going to go in it? Mm-hmm. You see, people look at an empty book. You spend forty dollars on a leather bound journal. Okay, yeah. But what if I have a conversation with somebody who's influential on an airplane or I'm at an event and I take some notes there? What's that worth now? Mm-hmm. See, people don't realize that. That's so true. Right? And another thing is, too, is with journaling, um, you know, five years ago, every five years, I go, I've go. i been writing journals for over 30 years now. I went through my journals from 2017, 2018, 2019, just last year. And uh, I looked at it, I thought, wow. So, like, in 2017, my goal was I wanted to have three rental income properties. Three. And I'm like, that was a stretch goal for how am I going to do three? Today I have 20, right? Uh, in the US and Canada. And, and, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, I set my goal. And I did that in the first uh, 24 months from setting the goal. Amazing. I went from none to 20. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and my target was three, right? So I exceeded my target by, seven, by, you know, by, by 17. And so the thing is, is that in your life, you want to get around people that are always making you uncomfortable to stretch and grow you. You want to get around people that play life at a bigger game than you, even financially. You want to, you want to be in a situation like when I used to go to restaurants, you know, the, the check would be coming and I'm thinking people, we always fight to go, who's going to go to the restroom or the bathroom because we didn't have the money. You know what I mean? And I said to myself one day, I said, I want to get into a position where when the check comes, we fight for the bill. You actually fight for the bill. No, I've got it. I got it. No, I got it. I got it. I got it. No, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and now, so my friends, when, when we go to a restaurant, we actually call a couple of days in advance. Hey, I, I put my credit card on file. I'm coming on this date, this time. My credit card's on file. And then, and then, and then I get a call sometimes, uh, Mr. Jacqueline, um, so-and-so in your party's called in and they want you to remove your credit card from the, uh, from the reservation. Is that okay? I'm like, no, I want it. No. Yeah. And then another guy calls in and it's like, well, you got, and we, we try to bump each other off the, the credit card for the reservation. Yeah. See, it's a different level. Yeah. Right. You take pride in paying it as yeah. opposed to trying to dodge the, dodge the bill. Yeah. Right? So you do things like that. Yeah. And so it's, it's around your associations of who you're around mm-hmm. and you know, who you're around. See in life, it's the how and the who. See, a lot of times people say, well, how am I going to do this? It's never about the how, it's about the who. Mm-hmm. Who in your life that you can have a conversation with that you can make a phone call to. Mm-hmm. So in your phone, you should have, you know, if somebody's a high net worth person, HNW, put it behind their name. Somebody's a billionaire, put it behind their name. Somebody's good at investing, put an I behind their name. Somebody's good at health, put an H behind their name. Somebody's good at relationships, put an H or put an R. So like in my life, if I'm having a challenge with Tatiana, we're in a breakdown of communication, something's not flowing in our life. I have people in my phone that are on speed dial that I call for uh, advisory and counseling and, 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 and advisors to help me to mitigate, to, to work that relationship out. See, most people don't have a life team. So when things happen, they rely on themselves or they go to YouTube or they go drinking or partying like that. I have a life team. I have a network of people around me that no matter what happens in my life, I've got people on speed dial that I call, that I have permission to call them no matter what time of the day. And I have people around the world in different time zones that I can call and I can access them by text or by phone and ask questions and get feedback so I can solve things to help myself with my life. Mm. So when did you develop this awareness for you to be in a position where you're like, I have a problem, let me go ask for help as opposed to most people where they try to figure it out for themselves. Like, where did that come from? Where did you learn that? Late 30s, early 40s. Yeah. Uh, I remember being 38 and being up and down financially. And I remember saying to myself, I am sick and tired of being up and down financially. I need to stabilize. I need to have contingency plans. I need to have a year's, at least one to two years liquid cash for all my expenses, you know, and I want to have cash reserves and I want to have money working for me while I'm sleeping. 
And so I dedicated my 40s. I'm now 50. I dedicated my 40s 10 years to financial success. I, I just wanted for 10 years. You know, I went for lunch and dinner with the Rockefeller family, the Vanderbilts, the Rothschilds. I met them all. I've had lunches and dinners with these people all over the world. I went and met with a lot of people on the Forbes 400 list. And people say, what do you mean? I found out where these people were and I found a way to get a seat at the table. I found a way to get into proximity in the same rooms and the same buildings of these people. And I, and, I, and I had some uncomfortable conversations with some of these families, like, and, you know, all these conspiracy fears and all these private groups. So when I was with these people, I thought, you know, what's worst case scenario? They'll ask me to leave dinner. Okay, fine. Get my question answered. So, I went, so for 10 years, I was obsessed with studying financial wealth, the mindset, the daily habits, the routines, the belief systems, things that they do, things they invest in. See, rich people don't work for money. Rich people don't work for money. The poor and the middle class work for money. Rich people don't work for money. They work to acquire income-producing assets. So I, I never knew that. I never knew, you know, I never knew that rich people, when, they, when, they get, when money comes into their account, first thing they do is they pay themselves first. Now, I read that many years ago in a book called The Wealthy Barber by David Chilton, but it didn't quite make sense to me, right? So I understand now being around wealthy people. I'll give you, a, I'll share a story with you. A few years ago, I'm in Monaco, the country of Monaco, one of the smallest countries in the world next to the Vatican. It's the second smallest country in the world. And I have lunch with this guy who's a multi-billionaire. Guy's worth about $12 billion, okay? And he has this super yacht that was worth $500 million. And it costs 10%. It's cost $50 million a year to run this, this um, boat. And he's got 48 full-time staff that circumnavigate the planet with him. So I'm having lunch with this guy. He has no security. He has no handlers. No, nobody else, just him and I. Okay, there's nobody else around. Just him and I in this restaurant. We're at the Fairmont Hotel in Monaco. And I'm sitting there and I have a couple hours with this guy. And I said to the guy, I said, can I ask you a question? I said, you're a multi-billionaire. Why would you own a boat that's a super that costs $500 million and it costs you $50 million a year to run it? It doesn't make any sense to me. And he laughs. He goes, that's why you're not a billionaire. And he goes, you know, Darren, he says, uh, you know, that boat doesn't cost me anything. I said, what do you mean the super yacht doesn't cost anything? He goes, no. He goes, that's your thinking. He says, you're, you're, he, said, he, said, he said, a millionaire and a multimillionaire think about how they can make more money. A billionaire thinks how they can make other people a lot more money. See the difference? He said, you see that boat up there? He says, yeah. He said, what I did for a couple of years, he says, I went around to all these different charity events, network events around the world. And I went and got into rooms, even that were, you know, out of my price range. I found ways to make things happen, to make things work well financially to get in some of these rooms. And I found a way to meet people. He goes, you know, the International Space Station, you have all these astronauts that go up to International Space Station. They do research up there. He goes, well, if you look at the oceans, he goes, look at how inefficient it is. He goes, the key thing is solving a problem. He says, so these people are studying the oceans, but they, they go out in a boat during the daytime. Then they do their research and they can come back at nighttime and get onto land, get a bite to eat, have a shower, change, go to bed and get up early the next morning and do it all over again. What an inefficient way of doing something. He says, so I thought, what if I could create a virtual um, ship that's on the ship, like a think tank that has doctors, staff, medical, fitness centers, all that stuff. They have a submarine. And what if the thing just circumnavigates the world in the oceans? And what if I could have all these other countries give me money to pay for the super yacht? So guy, I went out to these different countries and got money from these different super yachts. And he goes, they put together all the money, OPM, other people's money through letters of intent. And I actually bought the super yacht with countries' money, all these different countries. And then all these research scientists, they would come onto the ship, the vessel, 10 months out of the year, they would use my super yacht. And he goes, here's the thing. He goes, you see this as a super yacht, right? And he goes, everybody else comes into the Monaco here into the harbor. They say, oh, look at that super yacht. He goes, you know what? Billionaires don't look at it as a super yacht. He goes, what do we look at it as? I said, he said, it's a research vessel. 
<laughs> he said, we don't call it a super yacht. Wow. Super yacht, you're going to pay for it. A research vessel, other people are going to pay for it. Wow. He goes, ten, he goes, two months out of the year, I get to, I get to use this for free. Because the scientists are away on vacation with their families, taking summertime off. He yeah. goes, I take eight weeks a year and use this with my family and my friends. Because I don't pay for it. Other people do. It's a $500 million super yacht. Yeah. But it's actually a research vessel. That's so cool. Yeah. Wow. Things like that just completely shift your mindset around yeah. what's possible. And even when you're looking at getting into a business and getting started, like for those people listening right now, they're like, how do I go from, you know, being so busy that it feels like there is no break, yeah. you know, like it's just a, a continuous cycle, uh, the same day over and over and over again. And they know they want to change, but they don't feel like they have the window of sure. opportunity to make the shift. So for somebody in that situation who has a lot of um, the desire is coming up, they know they have an issue, they're not you know, satisfied or fulfilled, but they want to just take those first few steps to build that bridge. I think you called it, it was like a bridge uh, to get them to uh, a place where they can call the shots, not have a yep. boss and so forth. How would someone go and actually implement that? Well, good question, because I did that for many years. I traveled the world as a corporate trainer. I was on the road 276 days a year. And so if I didn't show up to train a company, I never got paid. Mm -hmm. I didn't make any money. I, was, I had to show up for everywhere I went. I had nothing coming in while I was sleeping or evenings or weekends other than I showed up. So I realized that I can only do this for a sustained period of time and I'm not getting any younger. And I'm trading time for money. Mm -hmm. So the thing is trading time for money. So people have to realize, okay, I'm trading time for money. So when money comes in, start to build up a cushion of, you know, five or 10 or $20,000, put it away and then go to people who are doing much better than you Go through the discovery and due diligence and find a way to start on a part-time basis, putting money into stable income producing assets, right? Putting my, my first investment was a company called Sierra Mortgage Fund. It's still around. I put in 300 Canadian dollars back years ago. And I just withdrew it last year, actually. And I accumulated over several years, but I, but I got into an investment opportunity of doing second mortgages and I put in $300 was the minimum investment. That's all I had. And I started with that and I got 7% annual return. Okay. And I got a quarterly dividend and it wasn't much on 300 Canadian dollars, 7% with a quarterly distribution. So I just kept them in there. But the thing was, I, I, I started to now realize I'm an investor. I got 300 Canadian dollars in there. I got to manage 300 bucks. I'm getting 7% annual return. So the key thing is you start off small. Now, what I do is there's a board game called Cashflow 101. Robert and Kim Kiyosaki created this board game. You can go to richdad.com. That's, I think that's their website. And it's this board game you can order on Amazon and you start to play that board game. So you start to realize in that game, it's experiential training development. It's like a simulator. So it starts to train you on how you get out of the rat race because mm -hmm. you got to understand the rat race to the fast track. So, but you got to realize if you keep doing what you're doing, it's a vicious cycle. So then also get around different people. So if you look at like a lot of people who are dentists or doctors or chiropractors or engineers, a lot of those people are what they call self-employed people, Right. They're high-paid professionals. A lot of them are six-figure income earners. But the challenge is they hang out with the same people who are self-employed, high-figure, high-income earner people. They never break out of that. Then you see a guy like me, like I would never want to be a dentist. I'd want to own the dental practice mm -hmm. and own multiple locations, right? I own multiple accounting firms in the United States. They a company called Profitopia that I've got to call partners with, you know, built into a multi-million dollar business. But I don't run day-to-day -day operations, but those people in there are trading time for money, Right. So what I do is you got to realize it. First of all, you got to realize you got to step out of it, but it, it's got to happen slowly. And so you realize I start putting money into little safe income producing opportunities. Start to go to open houses. 
Start to take real estate courses. If you want to invest into real estate, start going, uh, talking to realtors, going to people who, who own lots of real estate properties and ask them, hey, and what I do is, is you want to look at what are all the, the worst things that can go wrong in real estate investing. So when I look at things, I never look at what can go right. I look at what can go wrong so I can contingency plan and reserve for those things, right? And scenario plan. But you got to start getting around people who, and shake hands with people who are already different, living the lifestyle that you want. Mm-hmm. And what you'll realize is that these people are not any smarter than you. They make mistakes. They screw up things like that. You start to realize, man, it builds your belief that, wow, if they can do this, I can do this. Like there's a couple of guys that I go hiking with around the world and they make several millions of dollars a year and do all kinds of great things. And, and after I've been around these guys, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I could actually make $10 million a year because these guys that are making $10 million a year that I'm hiking with, they're not any smarter than me. They just got teams and teams of people and mm-hmm. systems and processes just like I do. They're just doing different things that I'm doing, right? And, and, and stuff. So, but it gives you a glimpse into people when you start to be around those people. So the first thing is get around people. That's the first thing. Step number one is get around people who are already living the ideal lifestyle that you want. So you get a glimpse behind the scenes of what it really is. Mm. And then you start to realize, wow, this is possible. I can actually do something like this. It starts to build your belief. It's so true. I think there's a bridge that people need to build from like the part-time side hustle, side income, and then eventually transition over. And I think the window of time that I've noticed is like three to five years, really, you got to give yourself that window. And most people are putting it off. Like now's not a good time because my kids are this age or now's not a good time. And they keep postponing it and procrastinating, whatever. But like you mentioned earlier, like nobody gets out alive. And I think that a lot of people have this battle between living for today but also creating for tomorrow. And they have a hard time with choosing even with their finances. Like, okay, I really want to go have this experience or this trip with my family now because my kids are young, but I also don't have enough to put it away for retirement and whatever. And so I've been a really big believer in how can you set up your life to do both? Because I lost my dad when he was 54. And I don't know about you, but nobody plans to have a 54-year life. Everybody assumes they're going to live to be much, much older than that. And so it really shook me to my core of like, we really don't know how much time we have. And if we postpone everything for this ideal, like retirement, you know, 55, 60, 65, which is very common thinking out there to this day, people are like, you know, I'll travel when, and it's always into the future or I'll have nice things in the, in, in the, in down the road. I think where, where can someone find the balance between enjoying life now while still building it for the same time? Like, what would you sure. recommend for that? And how have you done that? In well, you get around people who are older than you for their wisdom, young people for their energy. So I was just around Jimmy Patterson recently. Jimmy Patterson, I met with Jimmy Patterson. And, you know, he's one of Canada's wealthiest billionaires. He employs what, over 40, 50,000 people. He owns many big companies. You know, Ripley's Believe It or Not, Guinness Book of World Records, many grocery stores, media outlets, car dealerships, all that stuff. He's 94 years old. And when I went and met with him that morning at 7 a.m., he comes walking to the Hyatt Hotel and he comes in, you know, walking through the lobby really fast. I walk into him and go, Jimmy, I said, why are you walking so fast? He goes, I got bills to pay. He goes, I owe, I owe, I owe the Royal Bank of, or the Bank of Montreal some money. And he goes, I, I, I got things I got to do. He's 94. He's a multi-billionaire. But you see, to him, he loves what he does every day. And so if he would have retired, I don't think he'd be still alive to this day. Mm-hmm. But he loves what he does. So the thing is, when I was hiking just last week, I ran across a group of women that were in their 80s and there was eight women and I stopped to talk to them for a few minutes. I said, well, are you, are you ladies part of a group or a club? And they're like, we have a WhatsApp group and we get together a few times a month and we go hiking. And I said, what's your goal in this group? To get into the 90s group. There's a bunch of women in that group. I said, what's after that? And they go, well, there's a hundred group. There's three women in a group between 100 and 103 that go hiking a couple times a month. 
So there's always another level. Yeah. So you get around people who are always doing things, right? Like people say, well, you know, I've got a great family. What if you live in an extraordinary family? What if you get around people who start modeling people who have an extraordinary life with their children mm -hmm. or their relationship or their finances, their health or their fitness, their spirituality? So you start getting around people. Where do those people hang out that I would like to be like? So you can hang around and be in the environment of those people, mm -hmm. right? And, and like what I like to do with some of our companies is, is when it comes to customer service training, I like to take people, our staff to a Ritz-Carlton hotel. And most of our staff have never been to a Ritz-Carlton hotel. And people are like, why are you taking to Ritz-Carlton? Because you take them in there and you sit down for an hour and a half, two hours for lunch, and you have them experience the Ritz-Carlton experience when it comes to customer service. And for anybody that's in business, if you want to up-level your game of customer service, go to a Ritz-Carlton hotel. And you will see a different level of customer service of how they interact with the customer. Mm. Because there's no spare customers. Customers are good for business. And so you, you take people, because if we want to train people on customer service training, well, how do you train them? You can read manuals and watch videos. But take them to an experience where they actually get the experience on the other end, what it's like to receive exceptional high-level customer service. It's so true. I've traveled and done lots of amazing things over the years. And, and just the customer service and different types of hotels or different services that you pay for. Even Uber has different yeah. classes. And you go Uber Black, and it's just a completely different mm -hmm. experience. They have cold towels if it's hot outside. They have cold water. And just these little things that just make your experience so much better. And one of my beliefs that I've created over the last few years is like, you got to have levels to your dreams. And I think like most people are trying to kind of like the expression, like eat shit, you know, like wear old clothes, um, secondhand clothes, whatever. And, but the energy and the vibration of that is actually not um, abundant. Mm -hmm. So you're limiting yourself because you don't feel good about yourself. You're eating low quality food, but you're trying to pinch a penny and save it for another day. Yeah. And I'm like, what if you can get to your first level of dreams first, just so your vibration is mm -hmm. abundant, mm -hmm. and then you pump the brakes and get into assets and investments to scale your, your um, actual net worth? And that's really served me a lot because the fear of dying young like my dad actually prevented me from not wanting to put everything off into the future like yeah. him. My dad only had two financial material goals. That's it. He wasn't like a really... Um, person who wanted everything and billionaire or nothing like that. He wanted a sailboat and he wanted a 740 BMW, a oh, green wow. one. That's it. And he had the, on the fridge, on the wall, and he never got to experience either one of those. He would go down to the Granville Island where all the yachts were there and the, the sailboats were there. And he'd go to the, the dealership and he'd see them. And he felt like it was so close, but he was like, when I'm older, when this happens, whatever. And so part of me was like, what would happen if all of my goals were put so far into the future that I never really felt like I lived uh, a fulfilling life, not just financially, but in experiences and things like this. And recently talking to more wealthy individuals mm -hmm. that I've had the privilege to meet like yourself and, and put myself in different rooms. One of the things I've noticed is there's a lot of regret, surprisingly, from a lot of them around not being around when their kids were really young because they were striving for something like they were striving for more success or creating a better life for their children, which is, I think, a really uh, common theme, mm -hmm. especially for the men or the providers and families. And so when, when I was building my business and I was looking forward to becoming a father, there was this level of like, I got to find a way to create the freedom to be present in those early years, because that first five years is completely different than the next five for and sure. the next five. And eventually you know, your kids don't really want to be around you. Yes. And it's like that season has passed. And so I find sometimes people are building this ideal or this vision, but 
it the timelines are a little bit off. Yeah. Where like, okay, if I do this for the next 20 years, I'll set my kids up for college. And then you get there and you hit your goals and you're very excited about it. But then on the hindsight, it's like, I have a 20 year old kid. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what about the fun at the park? And I was never around because I was working and busy. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned a lot of wisdom type lessons from people a little bit older who are in one way more successful than I am financially speaking or with big companies or investments and stuff, which I admire and mm -hmm. I look up to and I want to learn from. But then when you hear the side conversations off camera, off mic, they're like, man, you know, I kind of missed it. I, I have some regrets around that. And that hits me right in the heart. Mm -hmm. And so I haven't done everything perfectly by any means. But one thing that I have done, even with my wife, before we had kids, I asked her, we went on a date night and I said, what would you like to do? Where would you like to visit anywhere in the world, a country, an experience, something that, that you feel like you want to do before you become a mother? And she's like, nothing, I'm ready. I'm like, no, 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 just really take a moment mm -hmm. because life will be different and it will never go back. There's right. like a significant shift. And she, we, we thought about it a little bit and she's like, I want to go on like a Europe trip. I want to go to Greece. And all of a sudden there was quite a bit coming mm -hmm. up because I gave her permission to be like, this life, this chapter is going to end. And then the, in the future, we'll have different trips and different experiences with our children, but they'll never really be that same season again. And so we ended up going to Ibiza and, and, and Greece. And I remember the sense of like, I felt really good because we got closure on that right before we started a family. So my question to you now is the wisdom, the question mm -hmm. for you is, uh, what would you have changed looking back now into your 40s, 30s, 20s? Um, is there anything that you now have better awareness of living in the moment, living for today, experiencing certain things? Or have you always felt like you've done a good job of balancing both, like living for now and creating for tomorrow. So the big thing with me would be integrity. I didn't have much integrity in 20s and 30s. Okay. So to me, I didn't know what integrity was. I didn't know that, you know, being my word, what really my word meant, um, and being around different people that, you know, integrity was never a thing. So, so show, you know, not the impact of, you know, oh, it's a few minutes late, I show up, but not realizing the impact on that other person of being unreliable mm -hmm. and things like that. And then, you know, saying something and not following through, not delivering up my deliverables. So that was a big thing. Um, in my 20s, when I was financially irresponsible and not realizing the gratitude in, in saying, well, wow, I got a credit card. Oh, some financial institution believed me when I believed myself because I didn't think I was going to get the credit card. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really understand the power of my word, that our words create our world was a big thing for me. Really understanding the importance that never assume you're not being observed. You're always being watched and observed, right? And realizing that your, your word is so powerful because it builds your character because behavior never lies. And that was a big thing for me is to, for younger people is to realize that watch what you say because you're, you, what you say can manifest and come to fruition, but also people will listen to what you say and they'll hold you as that what you said, mm -hmm. right? Like some things that you remember about me, like I remember, imagine if I didn't follow through on those things, mm -hmm. right? We wouldn't be here today, yeah. right? So the thing is, I, it's being consistent. So the thing is, the younger we can understand because today, People like people get in trouble. Like, I'll just get a lawyer. Well, what about the accountability and responsibility of that? What about your personal integrity on things? Right, right, right. Where's the accountability? Or, or you know, I, I'm not doing so. Well, I'll just go bankrupt. Easy to go bankrupt. The quick well, fixes. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about making a couple hundred more calls? What about going knocking some doors? What about making some requests? Mm -hmm. Why do you have to throw in the towel so soon and go bankrupt? Same with divorce. Yeah, everybody's just it gets hard, and they rather find someone else instead of figuring it out and fixing it. It's another big one. Yeah, yeah. you know, life is a series of. Failures, right? And and the thing is, failure is just feedback. And the thing is, is that people, they choose things. People take the path of least resistance. So myself was, another thing is, is 
being around people. Um, you know, at times I would hold back and not like, man, because I wanted to look good and I didn't want to look bad. Mm. You know, I want that, that mindset of wanting to look good. I want to look good in this situation, but I also don't want to look bad. And then realize that people don't really care. Um, that was a big thing for me. And I think another thing is too, is realizing that most people, like when they go to a workshop or a course or a seminar, aren't going to follow through. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that everybody's going to follow through. We're here, you're paying money, you're taking time away from your, your busy life to be here. Then why wouldn't you action things? Mm-hmm. And so I'd go there and, and you know, I, it's interesting because I was at a course recently and, um, so I set up for this course for a weekend. I go to this course, I meet this, and I always say, what's going to be my next million dollar idea? So I meet this guy outside in, in the lobby before we go into the program. And I had a specific agenda of what I wanted to solve for and accomplish when I went to this program, whether I was going to get it through the content and the train or through other people in the room or by getting coached by the people that are in the room. Well, the guy outside solved everything I wanted to do. He checked all the boxes. So I'm like, I don't need to go to this program for three days. So I tell people, I'm, with, I'm not going. Like, what do, what do you mean? I don't need to. Well, you you got to come. No, I've already got my money's worth. I already got my return on investment right. and value. I got my return on life. I'm going to go now. I don't have to be here three days. I already got what I came for. Yeah. You know, but the course hasn't started yet. I'm, I'm done. You're good. I feel like I just, that doesn't make any sense. You paid for this. No, I already, I already got the right. money back. Mm-hmm. It's a different mindset, mm-hmm. but I was qualifying and protecting my time. And I think another thing is too, is to qualify and protect your time. It's a big, big thing is that you, you can always go make, earn more money, but you can't get back time. A lot of people have a hard time saying no. Correct. They always, people please, always, it's got to be a yes. Yeah. And I think the power of no without an explanation yeah. and no, uh, it's like the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you taught me that I loved, I remember we had so many laughs when we went for lunch, is you were telling me how someone asked you, well, why do you do this and why do you that? And you said, because I can. Yes. And they're waiting for the the next part of that. Like, well, why though? It's like, because I can. And yeah. there's no more, nothing else needed. And same thing with no, it's a complete sentence. Yeah. It's yeah. done. And I think a lot of people need to exercise their right to say no more frequently to get what they want. And nobody's so, coming to rescue you. Yeah. See, people always think that somebody's going to come rescue them. Somebody's going to bail them out. If you have the mindset that nobody's coming to rescue you, you live your life differently. Right? People say, oh, if I get older and I don't succeed, then the government's going to bail me out or, you know, I'll move in with my family or my parents or, or move back home with somebody like that. What if nobody comes to rescue you? And that's been an obvious the last couple of years with the global economy and everything that happened with the pandemic is there was people literally trying to milk it, uh, get free handouts from the government and take advantage of the situation in a way, whereas other people were like, well, how do I pivot? How do I make a shift? And how do I make this the most productive year or two? Because we didn't know for a while how long Mm -hmm. it would last. Just like yourself, as far as I know, you wrote this book until I become during that time where you were limited to how much you were able to travel because you travel so much always. And so that's really amazing. So let's talk about that in one second. But I have one selfish question that I wanted to ask you today. So when we met... I was in this very interesting transition period in my life. I had maybe a one ounce or 1% hope or optimism or any sort of positive thinking about who I was, my value to the world or what I could become. So when you met me from your perspective, Mm -hmm. what did you see in me or what made you want to give me those assignments and take time out of your busy life and um, take me under your wing? And and basically you became a father figure to Mm -hmm. me in a, in a, you know, a little bit more distant way, not living under the same roof, but what was it? And, and do you do that with everybody or is there some kind of a instinct you have or intuition you have that goes, I, this person and maybe not those people, like, how do you, Great how do question. you do that? I think from a lot of experience of locking on a lot of doors at a young age and, and doing a lot of, you know, door to door sales and telephone sales, and all that stuff as a kid, you learn how to build rapport with people and you learn to watch and observe people and you look at certain clues and signs, right? And I think with you is that 
just when I met you, just the way you were, remind me a lot of my younger self, but I saw you different than everybody else. You, when we met the first, one of the first times we met, you were curious and different than everybody else at the table mm. that you were with, with that group you were with. Mm -hmm. You stood out differently, the way you ask questions, the way you engage, things like that. So I don't do it with everybody if selected, but I watch and observe people of how they show up. And you were, you were, you were very curious. Mm. You were this curious person, figure, wanting to figure things out. And I took a real liking to you. I realized, okay, this guy's going to do something, but we've got to get around the right people in the right environment mm -hmm. and, and some sort some things out, right? And that was a big thing early on. And I thought this guy's going to go someplace when he's around the right people right. in the right environment. Curious is a good word to describe me during that season. I never even thought of myself as curious, but yes, I was just a sponge mm -hmm. and I was really looking for like, give me something that, that works. And you know, my whole life up until that point, I didn't really have any examples and mm -hmm. I didn't even know what a mentor was. Yeah. And this was also way before social media and a lot of things that have helped uh, people discover that. Because even the algorithm these days sometimes could throw a video onto sure. your phone and go, wait a second. And it opens up this thing and you go in a new direction. But back then it was way more needed to have that close intimacy and proximity that, yeah. that you shared with me. So that's really cool. And uh, I'm so proud of you for everything that you've achieved. And I know that you've been through a lot of hardships and ups and downs mm -hmm. over the years, and that's never going to stop. But you literally manifested not only the cool things that you stayed at that house and the things that you've shared, but you've actually manifested your uh, speaking into existence who you will become way before it happened. And I learned that from you. I remember when I started my business in 2013, I started telling people, I'm going to create a global prosperity movement. And it was seven people in my living room in Burnaby. <laughs> and everyone's like looking around going, this guy's smoking something like power. And I'm like, well, it's got to start somewhere. And, you know, over the years now, it's led into over 100 countries. And it, it is happening and it is yeah. unfolding. And, uh, and now I think to myself, I'm like, if I did it in the past and I spoke it into existence and there was a little bit of a time delay, what can I speak into existence now that also seems impossible or unlikely or this really big grand goal. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually now this year in a new cycle of, of motivation, inspiration. And I'll share a quick story is my daughter, I took 18 months off when mm -hmm. she was born from like working and obligations and things. And that was a big dream of mine because I just wanted to do it on my terms. Yes. And so typically you hear stories of three months or six months for, you know, if you're lucky and a lot of men, it's like less than 30 days and they're back to their job. And yep. then the, the mom has a little bit more maternity leave mm -hmm. and th things like this. So I'm like, you know what? It's just indefinite at first. It was like, it's indefinite. I'll, I'll just get back when I have the spark and the inspiration. And it took, um, after a year, I was like, huh, I still don't have it. I have no desire to to work or be out of the home or, or do business related stuff. But my business was growing mm -hmm. and my income was growing and, and the impact that I put in years before was growing. And I was like, this is super fascinating. And it was the dream that I, uh, I was aiming for coming into full fruition. And then my wife had a hair appointment and she, there was a conflict in her calendars and she goes, I got to leave Valentina at home on this particular day or I'll cancel my hair. And I said, you should go to your appointment. We'll figure it out. And this was the first time that I really brought my daughter into a working environment in my office because mm -hmm. she was pretty young. And I, I had a chat with her and she was just starting to talk a little bit. And I said, you're going to sit on my lap and daddy's lap and you're going to watch daddy do his business and work on the Zoom call. And she sat on my lap like this and it was recorded, which is really cool. I have the recording, which is super special. And she's just looking up at me and she had this little twinkle in her eye and this little smile on her face I had never seen before. Wow. It was different. 
And I kind of looked down and in that moment, I knew that by me retiring or not working or whatever, it was not actually serving her mm-hmm. because I wasn't in my purpose. I was and modeling of, to her and I was modeling it. And I just had this moment. I'm like, that's, that's what I was looking for. Yeah. And the spark lit and I got really excited. And so now she's, um, actually repeating things back, like, like positive affirmations mm-hmm. and believing in herself. And I'll say to her, I'm like, you're the best, you're the greatest, you're the smartest. And she just goes, yes. And she just confirms it. She doesn't, at first she got shy. Mm-hmm. And this is all stuff I learned from you passively over mm-hmm. the years. And so I'm literally passing it on to my daughter and the next generation and the ripple effect continues. And then I'm teaching this to my community. And I've, I've quoted a lot of things that you shared on this interview today, uh, you know, over the years has become a part of myself too. Sure. And, and what I believe and how I see the world. So this has been so much fun. I, I literally had the, the camera crew here letting me know like the clock. And I think it's been like a couple hours and it doesn't feel like it at all. So I think we can, we can wrap it up here. But the last question that I have, which I think you taught me this too, uh, pretty sure, is what should I ask you that I haven't asked you that would be a really great question for this show? What have I not thought of and not asked you that, you know, the answer could really be of value to everybody listening right now? Good question. I would say the big thing would be that, um, you know, how do you, how do you deal with adversity? How do you deal with failures and setbacks? Mm-hmm. I think that, cause a lot of people see, sometimes they'll see the highlights of success, but they don't see, you know, when you're being defeated, what is it you do? Mm-hmm. Right. And so what I do is I, I, I go to, I, first of all, I write things down. I get things out of my head, get things on paper, but I'm in communication with other people rather than withdraw and avoid or suppress. I, I, I attack if, 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 if I'm challenged with something, something's going after me. Like even in my life this year, I wanted to take, take my relationship with Tatiana to a whole new level. So I'm actually exploring things on childhood trauma now and, uh, you know, vulnerability and it's scary, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's, it's a whole other, it's a shadow side of myself. I'm not familiar with, mm-hmm. right? Cause I, I'm intellectual. And so with that, it's like a part of me wants to run towards it and a part of me wants to run away from it. So I built a network of, of other men around me that, are account- that I'm accountable to, to hold me there in, in a container so that I don't run away. Because my mind says protection and survival. You're not safe here, fight or flight, right? Wow. And so it, it's like right now, like in my life, it's like a firefighter. I, I have to run into the burning building. Whereas my mind's saying you'd have to run out of the burning building. So I'm facing things in my childhood as childhood traumas and things that I had that might, that my conditioning as a human being doesn't want me to do. Mm-hmm. It's actually wanting me to stop doing it. So I'm overriding the, the software, the printing in my brain to actually move towards it. Mm-hmm. And so in life, and, it, and to me, it's self-actualization of human potential. Mm-hmm. You know, Maslow's hierarchy, it's self-actualization. So in life, it's, it's stepping out of that comfort zone into that learning zone, doing things that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it's going to feel awkward and uncomfortable. And, and that's why being around, I've had a chance to be around a few different Navy SEALs. And, and, um, one of the Navy SEALs one time I was around and he said, Darren, he says, uh, you, you want to do something we do? He goes, good. Tonight, you're not sleeping upstairs in the hotel room. You're going to sleep in a chair in the hotel lobby and it's going to be uncomfortable. See, like people do in the Wim Hof stuff where they jump into cold water. It's uncomfortable. So the thing is, if you're willing to do what's uncomfortable, like knocking on doors, making phone calls, making requests. So that's something that maybe you ever asked that's really served people is that, you're going to be uncomfortable for three to five years building a business. Right. It's network marketing. You're going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to be comfortable mm-hmm. in the beginning days. And then when you, if you make a bunch of money, it's not about making the money. You've, you've made money. I've made money. It's a whole different skill set once you make money. 
right? You, you, you make money, you got to protect it and you got to multiply it. Mm -hmm. And when you, you protect, you make it, you protect it, you want to multiply it. It's different conversations with different people. So then you start going to different financial people and you realize they just want to sell you products and services. They don't really want to educate you on what to do because mm -hmm. they're salespeople. They got to sell you products and services. And so it's a whole different thing. And so when people say, well, when I, when I make a lot of money, you know, when you make a lot of money, that's great. But then how are you going to keep it? And how are you going to multiply it? And how are you going to create generational wealth? Right. So that's something, that, you know, just to elaborate Powerful. on. Yeah, because people, once they get to success, I was with a guy, I won't mention his name. I was with a guy just last week who's a very well-known professional athlete, just retired, and uh, he's lost his identity because he was always in the news media, always in magazines, always out there in the public eye, signing autographs, doing photos, and he's now retired. Mm. And now all of a sudden, he's, he's not in the media anymore because he's retired. And the media doesn't want to give him because he's not an athlete no more. Mm. And he's like, who am I? Since I was a little boy, I was always in this sport. Now I'm at this age, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm retired. And so he's like, what's my purpose anymore? I've been to the moon and back now. What do I do? Mm. And so what I showed him was set goals beyond this professional sports. What's higher than that professional sport now? He's like, I don't know. Well, that's where you're in discovery now. Mm-hmm. Right, so identity crisis, yeah. yeah, and shifting identity, I think, for even just a regular person is so key because if you are, for, I think you you shared this with me actually. If you are a smoker who says I'm I'm trying to quit smoking, then it's going against that identity. It's never going to work. You're always sure. going to go back to smoking. But if you're just a non-smoker, right. then then all of a sudden it's done because yeah. that's not even who you are. Yeah. And obviously, it's easier said than done to make the transition. But I think often people are not looking at their ability to just decide who they want to change into and who they want to become, which is the title of your book, Until yeah. I Become. So quickly touch on this and where can people find the book? Where can they buy it sure. and, and support you? And uh, where are you most active online these days sure. to share value? That'd yeah. be awesome. And then we'll wrap it up. Yeah. So the book, for many years, people want me to write a book. I had no interest in ever writing a book. And then during COVID, during the lockdown, I was going through my journals out of my storage locker and, I, and Tatiana, my partner in life, She's got a three academic degree. She's got a master's degree in education. She's like, there's so much value and gold in your journals that you should serve humanity and pay it forward and pass it on. So we hired a team of people on Zoom over a 10-month period. We did many, many Zoom videos and recorded them and transcribed them. And we created the book. The book was a book, a couple of things. One is I wanted to create the book that would be a book that would be around people's homes or libraries for many years. It would be a book that if I saw that it would be highlighted, underlined, um, people would go to it multiple Like, you know, you hear a book like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. The book's been around for decades, but people still talk about it and they reread it multiple times. So I wanted this book to be a book that would reread multiple times. I also wanted to be a book that a lot of the information in the book you've never read anywhere. This is my personal thoughts, my private conversations. It's how I dealt with the biggest adversities and challenges and what were the systems and strategies I did to overcome those and not give up and not quit. Mm -hmm. So you'll learn things in this book that you won't read anywhere. It's going to shift your mindset. It's less than a hundred pages because I wanted to have a practical book, uh, but I also want a book that had no fluff or filler, or no sizzle. I wanted to give you the steak, mm -hmm. right? Because people, I want people to, and, I, and what's in it for me is I want to collect the stories from people. So I wanted to create a book that when people read the book and they saw me in an airport, or they saw me at an event, or they saw me walking down the street, they would come to say, oh my gosh, I read your book. And then story. And here's how it impacted my life. Here's how it impacted my job, my career, my finances, my health, my relationship, my kids. Mm. That's what I want. That's what's in it for me yeah. as in terms of metric. Uh, they can buy the book at untilibecome.com. Untilibecome.com. You can go to Amazon. It's also in many bookstores around the world as well. Amazing. And it's, it'll be an inter international bestseller this year. It's gone global. And um, 
yeah, it's, I've had people come to me and said, listen, you know, Darren, I have no desire to ever go to Africa on a humanitarian trip with you, but I want to buy 500 copies and I want you to give them to people in the village so you can, you know, plant, plant seeds. So I know I was part of that. So it's been, it's been huge. And I'll be doing that too. I can't wait to read it. I'll read it probably pretty quickly and apply it as well. And if this interview was any indication of the value in this book, I mean, you've changed my life in every single time we've ever connected. And, uh, I know that everybody listening and watching this today has gotten so much value. So thank you for your time. This has been an amazing way to set the bar extremely high for my brand new show, which actually has a very similar intention is the stories of people listening to the show, listening to this episode, listening to the podcast and telling me I made a change in my life and I changed my life. And so we're on a very similar mission. And I am so grateful to continue to be great friends with you and support you. And it's still just the beginning, which is so exciting. So thanks for being on the show. I'm grateful to be here. And we'll be on here again, I'm sure, for part two. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. I hope you found something useful here to help you unlock more freedom in your life. We're just getting started. So if there's something you want to hear or a guest you want me to have on the podcast, shoot me a message at the Diamond Life Mentor on Instagram and let me know. You can discover incredibly helpful resources and more ways to build your diamond life now at my website, bellagewcardos.com. At the end of the day, this is all about bettering yourself and helping others. So if you think you can help someone else by sharing this podcast, that would be the ultimate win for me. And of course, subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Appreciate you. Thanks for listening.